Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Are you searching for the best in online black radio? Then go to BlackTalkRadioNetwork.com. Helping you filter through the noise. Real talk. Black talk. The internet is full of half-truths and all-out lies. We've all seen them, and many people on social media complaining about it. Here's your chance to show and prove. WorldAfropedia.com is a black-owned and operated encyclopedia. There are several thousand articles, but we need help. We can't uncover all the truth ourselves. So please, join us and become a writer, editor, or blogger for WorldAfropedia.com today. Every little bit counts. We owe it to the future generations to put the truth out there. Visit WorldAfropedia.com, the African-centered encyclopedia a global database of African knowledge for the purpose of bringing about global African wisdom and understanding. WorldAfropedia.com It is one of the largest job placement agencies in the country, based right here in Chicago, and tonight it's accused of discriminating against blacks and exploiting Hispanics. CBS 2's Dorothy Tucker explains what's behind the explosive allegations. Before the sun rises, day laborers wait inside the offices of MVP staffing back in September 2015, hoping to be called to work the temporary jobs at factories across Chicago in its suburbs. Kevin James was often among the crowd. Or they'll call out names, pretty much, and tell you, Johnny, you on bus one. Um, Jose, you're on bus two. Was your name ever called? No. For the 20 times or so you went out there? No. The majority of the call, people who was being called, I'm sorry, were Hispanic. James is a father of two. It made me furious. It hurts right now as I talk about it. I'm just coming here to work like anyone else. So why am I not getting sent out? The why can be found in a class action lawsuit that alleges MVP staffing discriminates against blacks, preferring to hire Hispanics. At MVP offices in Waukegan, Latino workers tell why. It's easy for them to get used and, you know what I mean, for them to screw them over. It also saves companies money, according to plaintiff's attorney Chris Williams. He says MVP used a coding system that distinguished black applicants from Hispanic ones because many are illegal immigrants and less likely to complain. The staffing agencies can uh, cheat the workers out of overtime. They short their hours. It allows the companies to shortcut on safety considerations. Uh, which obviously saves money. What would you like to see happen? I would like to see more doors open. You know, I would like to see more people being able to work because it's hard out here. 
MVP has 60 offices in 38 states, hiring an estimated 20,000 workers a day for its clients. Clients in Chicago include packing companies, a chocolate factory, a bakery. Some of them are also named in the lawsuit. We reached out to MVP staffing. The company had no comment. Okay, Dorothy, thank you. Don't get mad at them. They have not taken your job. The people coming across the border from Guatemala and all like that, they're trying to get you set up to have a big, long fight with them. They are not taking your job. If I had a, a job, you know, and they came in and gave three fellows from Mexico my job, all right, I know that they did not take my job. The white supremacists took my job. Don't forget that, and that's who you talk to about it. New tonight, an electrician's apprentice working on the massive wharf construction project in Southwest walked off the job last week after finding two nooses on the work site. Terrell Powell says he quit after seeing the initial reaction from his immediate supervisor, who didn't seem to take it seriously. Fox says Paul Wagner joins us live from Southwest tonight with more on this story. Just unbelievable, Paul. Yeah, we've been digging into this all day long. This is the building behind me, right over my right shoulder here. It's a building being put up by Clark Construction in the Wharf Project on Main Avenue. It was a week ago today, last Monday, that these two nooses were found. Now, I can tell you that Clark Construction is taking this very seriously. They had a work stoppage. They talked with their workers on the job site, and we can tell you tonight that they have identified the person that hung the nooses, and that person has been terminated but we talked to the man who found the nooses let's tell you the rest of the story now last monday morning on the seventh floor of this building in the wharf project terrell powell says he found the first noose hanging over a doorway at about 6:30 in the morning he immediately notified his supervisor who he says was only concerned about getting back to work the noose was cut down and powell says he went about his day However, when he found the second noose draped over a ladder, he became deeply concerned for his own safety, called some other friends on the job so they could see it for themselves, and then finished his day and walked off the job. Powell says he felt like he was being targeted, even though he says there had been no trouble on the job. It was definitely frightening. I, I done been through a lot of things in my life, but being, being, being uh, tortured like that, hanging nooses around me and you know it's, it's several black people that work there but I was feeling like I was being targeted because what are the chances that one black man gonna find two nooses in one day on the same job. Now, Powell says he doesn't feel safe on that job he's had since found another job let's show you now a portion of the statement that we got from Clark Construction this afternoon it reads an investigation was immediately initiated it was determined that a subcontractor employee was involved in the incident and he was immediately terminated from the project. In addition, Clark Construction Project Management conducted a series of meetings with job site personnel to discuss the incident and to underscore Clark's zero tolerance policy for such action, which will result in immediate termination. Now, we had a question as to whether or not DC police were notified. We asked Clark if that had happened. We have since not heard back from Clark, but we contacted D.C. police, and D.C. police say that right this second they cannot find any record of it, and they're now looking a little further. It looks like they were not contacted. One other point, we want to say that 
Terrell Powell says that the person that he first reported this to did take it seriously, took photos and cut down the noose, but it was his immediate supervisor that he said didn't take it seriously, and that upset him, and that's why he walked off the job. Again, he's found another job. Live in Southwest, Paul Wagner, Fox 5 Local News. A black young lady said this to me about 1970. She said she thought that her father was God Almighty. When he walked into that house, I'm telling you that he, he knew everything, he knew how to do everything. She looked up to him like a god. Any questions that she had, go to dad. Dad's got it. Strong black man. That's how she saw him. Huge when he walked in the door. Can handle anything or anybody. She said she made the mistake of going on his job one day and a little white boy she said about one quarter his age talked to him like he was nothing and she said it frightened her to death because she suddenly knew that she was alone out of Fremont, where the Unified School District is combating claims of rampant racism made by a junior high school student. And that student even went so far as to put pen to paper in expressing his feelings. Our South Bay reporter, Jesse Gary, live now in Fremont. And Jesse, you have the letter that the student wrote, as well as reaction from school officials. That's right. School officials tell me they were made aware of this letter late last month. They took steps to address the racist name-calling and the bullying. But over the weekend, the victim's older brother, who goes to college, saw the letter, became angry, still harboring some hard feelings over what he says was similar treatment for him when he went to Thornton Junior High School. So he put the letter on social media. It went viral, shining new light on this controversy. There are not many black kids at my school, so I am alone to face this harassment. Israel Howard says so far, his second year at Thornton Junior High School has been a nightmare. Daily racist taunts and name-calling by a group of students hasn't stopped and reached the breaking point a few weeks before Thanksgiving. People call me all sorts of names, all racist things, and then I try to tell the office, and they just shut me out calling me the bad guy. Howard handled his frustrations the best way he knew how penning a three-page letter to school officials describing the insults, which include, you need to go back to the cornfield, slave. He got new shoes. You know his black expletive stole them. Look at his hair. Looks like a microphone. He writes, I am alone to face this harassment. The vice principal lets people call me black piece of expletive. We found the letter very disturbing and disheartening. District Superintendent Dr. Jim Morris emphatically says racism isn't tolerated in the district or school, which has only 3% black students. He says the district was notified of this letter November 10th, met with the student's family on the 14th, and had a support plan in place that same day. The message the student wrote resonated with so many people and said, we really need to address this and take it seriously. If one of our students is feeling this way, it's something that we have to pay attention to. Morris won't say how the offending students were disciplined, but does say Israel meets with a teacher mentor twice a week and has a school counselor he can talk to about ongoing issues. It's not really a plan or anything. It's just more of uh, the school trying to 
denied, uh, deniability or nothing that really is really getting done. Israel's father isn't happy with the school's actions, but says he's proud this unfortunate circumstance is teaching his son how to stand on his own two feet. The lights go out and then they call me like... The school district says it's too soon to tell if the plan they have put in place is having the desired effect. Demetrius Howard, that's Israel's son, who is not happy, says tomorrow the San Francisco Committee for Civil Rights Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights is filing a complaint with the state EOC on his son's behalf. Live in Fremont this evening, Jesse Gary, KTVU, Fox 2 News. supremacy. Gusty Renegade in for another broadcast. Hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy. Today's day Thursday, December 8th, 2016. So I have been told. I think my travel companion uh, is listening live as well. Workplace racism. I hope folks Willing to participate uh, today, our weekly session, uh, we discuss, hopefully, strategies, tips, triumphs uh, for neutralizing, minimizing racism, white supremacy in the workplace. Uh, if you have uh, if you have figured out some things for sure, make sure I emphasize this with as much enthusiasm as I can muster. If you have figured out some uh, techniques, some strategies that work. Uh, if, you know, it's keeping down conflict with other non-white people that you work with, even if you're self-employed, that could be a problem. Uh, keeping down conflict with other white people that you work with, uh, minimizing unwanted touching. If you have figured out a code for dealing with holiday parties, uh, being mistreated or whites, uh, encroaching on your space. If you have figured out any strategies that work for neutralizing any of these, uh, offenses or any other problems that we encounter in the workplace, uh, or if you are having a specific difficulty and you would like to, you know, get some feedback, folks to share a word or two, dial in. This is not a program for spectators. Uh, we should be active, engaged, and sharing. I think it's very helpful. Number one, if you are having any of these problems, I think it's very uh, important to share because other people uh, also uh, have often had the similar types of experiences in terms of being mistreated. Uh, so I think that's good so that you're not thinking that it's, you know, something unique uh, or defective about you. Uh, Cause I think a lot of times we end up being encouraged to blame ourselves and think that, you know, we're messing up, you know, we did it. That's what we're told. That's what we'll hear from a lot of non-white people on the job. And even unfortunately, a lot of victims, a lot of times, some of the victims that we care about, that'll kind of be a part of the way that they have been, uh, victimized and programmed to respond as well. It's always some kind of way black people are to blame. We deserve uh, to be mistreated uh, some way, somehow. So I think that uh, just sharing so that you can hear, number one, that other people have gone through this uh, and just hearing other people, hearing the logic uh, of what happened, evaluating truthfully, evaluating your experience. I think often you will see where, you know, 
there are some deviations for what uh, typically would be done to a white person in a similar situation. So share number to dial 641-715-3640, the code 564-943-POUND. Press star six if you would like to participate. The number again, 641 715 Four zero. The code is five six four nine four three pound. Press star six if you would like to participate. I did not anticipate having just a kind of montage of different workplace racism segments from the past few days. All everything that you heard in the introduction uh, happened this week, but I was just doing my diligence, being on my assignment, uh, reviewing things that had taken place and just kept finding things, kept finding things, kept finding things. Uh, I think it started with the black workers suit that happened in Illinois. I emailed uh, Pam about this as well. Maybe she'll be visiting with us later in the month, but it started with the black workers filing a lawsuit saying that the temporary temporary agency uh, that they worked for uh, favored, quote unquote, Hispanics over black workers at this temp agency. Uh, and I mean, that's total warfare. There was a reveal. They did a great segment earlier this year, about an hour piece on how in these temp agencies, uh, they really exploit uh, black laborers. Uh, they had a I was going to play a portion of it, but then I found so much bounty. I just said I have to do that later. Uh, but in this suit, you heard. The audio segment, they had a piece in the New York Times on Monday uh, about this incident. It was in the Chicago Tribune as well. It got quite a bit of attention uh, over the past couple of days. You heard most of it uh, in the suit. Black people not getting hired, uh, getting these uh, non-white, non-black workers. They could be exploited. They're undocumented, so they could be, you know, we can do whatever we want, and they can't say anything type of situation. They did leave out a few details in the article that just speak to the codification. And again, point I, I emphasize all the time, uh, part of the great, if, if we could just correct these two things, Dr. Welsing talks about her too. If we could correct these two things, this is how central I think we would be much closer to solving this problem. If non-white people understood not just believed, but understood that white people are not, cannot be ignorant about racism. Non-white people, particularly black people, are not experts on racism, not by a long shot. We would not have this problem if we were. But there are a couple important pieces that were left out of the audio report that you heard. This is from the New York Times piece on this segment. They said African-Americans wanted to keep their hands clean and not get dirty and not work as hard as a Mexican. That's why they called them guapos, which means handsome in uh, Spanish. She said this was in the interview. MVP employees were told that using words black or Mexican instead of the code words, especially in an email, was a fireable offense. The code words were in Spanish because all the managers who refused to hire African-Americans were Hispanic. Miss Keha said, I do want to point out, they do have a, a official classification, white, Hispanic. Some of these people could just be individuals classified as white who happen to have a Spanish accent or speak Spanish. Continuing, some would try to conceal their request by saying they wanted only employees to listen they only wanted employees who listened to 107.9 FM, a Spanish language radio station in the Chicago area. Now, that is elaborate. 
they're not saying we only want quote unquote Hispanics. We just want employees who listen to 107.9 FM. I'm skipping down a little bit in the report. Miss Seha said MVP employees would start the day by separating Hispanic job applicants from African-Americans. They would enter Hispanic applicants contact information into a database so they could be easily reached when jobs opened up. African-American applicants rarely received uh, the same. When African-Americans were given jobs, they were often marked DNR when they returned, short for do not return to the client company, meaning you don't get to go get another job there. Ms. Seha said dispatchers who sent African-Americans to a company that had asked not to be sent black employees would be reprimanded by their boss. She added, if it was 10 Mexicans that would come at 1.30 p.m. and 25 African-Americans that were here at 4.30 a.m. and were waiting to be sent to work, they would send the Mexicans first, she said. And I, ha- I had to read that like twice. <laughs> my uh, victimization and my Negro brain, it took me a while to process it. But uh, so if the black people got there at 4.30 a.m. in the morning and the quote unquote non-black Mexican people got there at 1.30 p.m. in the afternoon, the Mexican people who got there at 1.30 p.m. would be sent out first and the black people would be called lazy. Only in the system of racism, white supremacy. Uh, I included the segment at the end uh, where the student, young black child, he was giving his testimony about all the terrorism he experienced in school. I included that because um, I was told repeatedly throughout my life that school, if you when I was a child and uh, I've heard it told to other children that if you are a child going to school is your job. I've heard that repeatedly and even for college students and racism is certainly going to be an issue in the classroom and the dynamics, the power dynamics are uh, very similar. So I would say it's uh, it's a good opportunity for, uh, to practice. And for folks that are older, uh, that classroom situation is very much uh, like a job situation. So I do include it. And people have kind of followed that logic anyway and dialed in to share classroom situations uh, during this time. Anyway, it sounded very similar. And they even ended that segment saying they were going to the EEOC. And I gave a, a kind of uh, cynical chuckle uh, because I've seen how impotent those uh, reports to the EEOC typically are uh, in the context of allegations of racism uh, on the job. Uh, people did email in situations. I will read uh, a couple and then if folks would like to share, feel free. If you want to touch on any of the reports that we heard or uh, your own situations, uh, feel free. Uh, Mr. Fuller, you can get, you heard a little bit of Mr. Fuller's audio as well. Uh, his website, uh, producejustice.com. Book, word guide, both great information, great suggestions, counter-racist suggestions, as always. Uh, So, first person, Uh, and this was actually a request, one of our listeners, uh, Chantel, she's been on the program uh, before talking about her situation. I guess that should be a cowbell. Anywho, uh, she was talking about her workplace uh, situations and some of the difficulties that she was having being codified and I said you know specifics details that's you know a major aspect of uh, counter racism is is just 
the details uh, about things. What what were some of the specific things that were making it difficult for her to remain codified in the workplace? And so she took some time to kind of write out some of the problems. Uh, and she said, uh, number one, uh, in her new environment, she's been here less than a year uh, at this new job. People were being uh, overly nice, uh, giving gifts, helping out. Uh, having birthday celebrations for her specifically, like, oh, it's your birthday, so we got you a cake and, you know, all of that. So it uh, made her lower her guard, as they say, uh, and be more willing to open up. Because even to give a little context, right, for how all of this started, where I said, what are specific things? Because she was saying she was talking to a non-white person, and this person had information about, like, her personal life. And I was like, whoa, how did they... How did they get that information? And she just said, oh, yeah, we had been talking and blah, blah, blah. So that was uh, that was the why. That was additional information as to how all of this came up and examples of how she was not being codified. She was, you know, giving personal information about things she was doing and what have you. And uh, as I've stated before, whites, they are always on their job. They are doing recon. They are just they're taking notes. All the things that I suggest they are doing. They are taking notes. They are writing down. They are keeping a dossier on you and all the niggers in the building and probably the whites too. But that's what they are doing. So they got all this. So they come back later and boop, oh yeah, remember the conversation we had uh, on, uh, you know, March 3rd, uh, 2016, approximately uh, 1300 hours and you said such and such and such and such and dang, should have been codified. I'm telling them all my business and now they got a whole file on me. Second thing she said, uh, making you feel comfortable, non-threatening. One of those work environments where it's real relaxed. Everybody is kind of on a first name basis. I think they may have permitted alcohol in this work environment uh, relatively recently. So it's kind of one of those laid back environments, which in my opinion can be really, really dangerous uh, because, you know, you just you end up being laid back as well. And then the time comes when they want to practice racism and not be laid back. Uh, or just getting you to relax your guard. Everybody is having so much fun and chilling so much. You think nobody here is racist. That's that's the sort of environment that can easily camouflage a racist. Next thing, she said, adjusting to new job, fitting in with coworkers, making a first impression. I can certainly understand that because people have talked before about, you know, you don't want to be perceived as being aloof. I think we've had some people calling before and they've said expressed concerns about, you know, hey, in this environment, people do a lot of chatting and hanging out and going to lunch. And if you don't if you don't do these things, you will get in trouble. You might you know, be jeopardizing uh, your stability, your employment if you're not engaged in these activities. Uh, so I certainly understand. And that's why, you know, I've talked about that before, having lists of things you can talk about, uh, things that are in the town. Uh, I know some people are, are no on sports. It might be if you're in one of those environments where you know you're going to have to do some chatter, you talk about sports. That way it keeps it. I don't have to be talking about me, my personal life, my view on politics, what I think about Trump. I'd much rather. Yeah, that, that LeBron James sure can dunk. Can <laughs> Fine. No problem. We can we can stay on that all day long. No problem. Uh, that was one. Uh, this person also, uh, Chantel, she also said uh, those, those uh, wacky holiday affairs became an issue. They were having a holiday uh, party of some sort and she declined and she got the sense that, uh oh, the whites were displeased uh, with her. I've talked about we've talked about that before. I've said, you know, for some people, if you're in one of those environments and you feel like this could be a problem, she didn't necessarily say that, but she she did. She said she definitely sensed that whites were not happy about her declining to attend. If you're in one of those environments, 
you codify. Uh, codify, um, you know, what you're going to do, what you're going to say, how long you're going to attend, all of that. If you feel like it would be in your best interest to just go and then be super, super codified and brief <laughs> with your attendance and moving on that way, you know, you don't cause any problems for yourself. And I was there, I got a selfie or two, or what have you. And we move on with, uh, with the events. Uh, if folks have, uh, questions, comments on those, some of the other people wrote in and they had, uh, commentary as well. I will sprinkle it in as we go. The number to dial, uh, is six, four, one, seven, one five three six four zero the code is five six four nine four three pound press star six if you would like to participate thank you for uh, your contribution Chantel, appreciate it. The first time I made a request, somebody uh, fill out something for workplace racism. Uh, pride of Ramapo. Uh, so the folks who dialed in who have a hand up, if you have commentary you would like to share, feel free. Lines should be open. May I be heard? Yes, sir. Greetings, Gus, and all the callers. I'm a, a fairly new listener, and uh, I just want to say thank you because uh, this information is this is really important. I feel like as a 22-year-old, this is something that I should have been reared learning and not something that I just now come across. So thank you for all the work that you do and all the callers that have constructive information. Uh, I feel like if I had been reared in this information, I probably wouldn't have led to the current work that I'm in. I'm currently in the military with one more year remaining. And that leads back to uh, my incident of workplace racism. Um, I was on watch, which is something in the military where you have extra duties either during work or outside of work. And in this particular occasion, I had duties during work where I had to man a desk with another a military member and he was a uh, non-white black man. And I was actually having a conversation about this show with him while, uh, when a, uh, one of our white superiors, he, um, he walked by and he, uh, he was just trying to start small talk with us about nothing in particular. He was just, I guess, checking up on us one to know what we were talking about, which is weird because uh, we, we were actually talking about the show. So, his snooping was actually uh, warranted in this case. And um, he, uh, he was about to walk away, and then he, he, turned, he turned around and he said, uh, you know, you two look alike. You guys have the big black African noses. You guys, uh, you look the same. You guys have similar features. And he, he looked at us kind of just waiting for us to react, I guess. He, he was trying to get a rise out of us. And we just looked at each other and we just acted like nothing happened. And he just walked away. And <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's pretty funny how um, that tackiness is evident everywhere. 
And it's one of the reasons why I can't wait to get out of the military. I feel like this is a plantation within the plantation. So uh, that was my piece, and I'll, I'll meet my line. Wow. An experiment. We have had some interesting dialogue about uh, racism in the military uh, on the program over the years, even folks like yourself who dialed in to share some of their uh, experiences. Um, I guess that that counts as workplace racism as, as or I guess just being in the workplace. Uh, I, I always appreciated the people that have dialed in who have shared this program with people that they work with and, you know, some of the ideas or what have you, concepts, things that we talk about here. And uh, I still, when I hear it, uh, I shudder a little bit like, ooh, I definitely would not, or I would be cautious. I'll say it that way. I'd be very cautious about uh, just racism in general, not even, you know, this program specifically, but just racism in general. I would be careful, um, you know, just (laughs) because someone has uh, a a lot of melanin does not necessarily mean uh, that they will operate in a manner that is in your best interest. Um, and I have, you know, we've unfortunately had people report that too, but uh, always grand to hear people who uh, courageously go out and try to share information, reach out to other non-white people. And if you have a rapport, certainly if you know the person, you'll have a relationship, you'll have trust and all that, certainly. But just in general, my rule is, is to discourage uh, or at minimum to have uh, high caution when discussing racism with other non-white folks you work with. But uh, that surveillance, I think I just commented on that. The white person probably had his alert his radar up uh, at seeing two niggers looking like they might be having some sort of constructive dialogue, even if he heard you talking about racism or not. Uh, that's very, very common. And then to make sure he got his tacky jab in before uh, leaving you to that's standard operating procedure from what I've seen. Uh, other folks I appreciate it. First time caller. Uh, if other folks had uh, either your own commentary, or if you had questions or commentary about what you've heard thus far, feel free. I'll be heard. Yes, sir. Your volume is a little low. Is that better? Yes, sir. Okay. Uh, greetings, Gus, and the callers and the listeners on the line. <clears throat> Rob from Milwaukee. Uh, I shared previously. Uh, my day's a little foggy, so I don't remember which program it was, but uh, I had to uh, share with you the troubles I was having um, at the college. And, um, all right, so I had uh, basically not gave up, but from the uh, terrorism I had been experiencing in the classroom, and I had, like, slacked on a few assignments. All right, so uh, we toured the end of this semester, and I get a phone call from a block number, and it's this uh, it's this white professor, right? And she was like, uh, Robert, what's going on? And um, I was just, like, really blunt with her and um, kind of, like, not using my, uh, my code-switching language. You know, so I was uh, basically talking Ebonics, I would say, so to, uh, so to speak. And um, she was like, well, yeah, you know, I knew it was something going on with you. And, um, you know, that's, you know, unfortunate. And, um, you know, so what do you want to do in the field? I'm like, uh, you know, I want to hurt the kid. 
Hello. Am I still being heard? Uh, yes, sir. We can hear you. I think someone just okay. echoed. So <clears throat> she asked me what I wanted to do in the field, and I told her that I wanted to work with the youth. Um, and she was like, yeah, that's probably, you know, going to be the one thing that she wouldn't be able to do. All right. And, uh, um, so she was like, yeah, you know, you're a good student and, um, you know, I want to see you kind of, you know, finish strong or whatever. And, uh, that was basically, um, basically the end of the conversation. Um, it was kind of. The phone call was strange. I'm still processing it. Um, I really don't know what to think of it. I guess that's why I'm sharing it, too. Um, it's just been really, like, uh, I'll say turbulent um, on my end. seems like it's an energy um, out here amongst the people. Um I wanted to ask, uh, I had a situation at Starbucks this morning. Um, I wanted to know, would that qualify as workplace racism or should I wait for another program? Hmm, situation at Starbucks. <laughs> um, it might. Uh, I was going to ask what your relationship was with this white instructor that rung you. Uh, before. Oh, for the professor, yeah. Uh, no relationship at all. She's just a professor. Um, you know, I'm pretty outspoken. Uh, damn, they label myself like an antagonist almost, uh, especially when it comes to white people. Um, you know, so I don't, that's, that's just really it. Like, um, nothing. <laughs> I don't know. So that's why, I, like, that's why I stood out that she called. Like, what's she calling me for? You know. Hmm. Um. Well, one a listener wrote in um, specifically with your commentary from last week about, you know, where you were feeling frustrated. Um, if people did not listen last week, uh, I'm paraphrasing, but uh, you were talking about um, having a criminal record and that maybe providing some difficulties or making some obstacles, racist choosing to make that an obstacle to you, uh, continuing your, with your career. You've been taking classes and what have you right now, but maybe some whites saying that it might be a difficult uh, in terms of you being placed uh, as you proceed and finish your classes. You talked, you said before that you've been doing extremely well uh, in your classes, some of the best grades in the class. And uh, with hearing this, it, it kind of uh, sapped your motivation uh, so to speak, to do as well in the class. That's kind of a crude summary of, of what he shared. I think this was last Thursday uh, when you spoke with us. Um, a listener, she wrote in, she said there was a gentleman, uh, gentleman from Milwaukee, Wisconsin that called the compensatory call-in show last week, December 3rd, expressing concerns about a felony conviction on his record. The caller sounded very dejected uh, and even indicated that his interest in completing school was waning due to the felony on his record. I just want to encourage him to keep going. He should definitely complete his degree and pursue a career in the field of study that he chose. Believe me, I work in the legal department of a staffing company that has offices nationwide. Some of our employees, white and non-white, have all types of felony and misdemeanor convictions on their criminal records. To paraphrase Wisconsin statute, 111.321 it's unlawful for employers and employment agencies to engage in any act of employment discrimination against any individual on the basis of age race, 
creed, color, disability, marital status, sex, national origin, ancestry, arrest record, or conviction record. To prevent costly discrimination lawsuits, wise employers follow EEOC uh, guidance by ensuring that disqualifying convictions are job related and by considering the nature and gravity of the offense as well as the time that has passed since the offense was committed. The the Internet has some excellent articles about explaining convictions on a job interview. She has an example. uh, It's from the Houston Chronicle, which is a Houston, Texas website. I'll just post it on Facebook, but it's titled... uh, Explaining a felony job, uh, explaining a felony on a job interview. That's the title of the report. I'll post it on Facebook, on my Facebook page. Uh, she concludes again. I want to emphasize that he should not give up. There are agencies and support networks designed to help him. He must persist until he succeeds because he doesn't know what opportunities will become available. Uh, those were her words of encouragement. And just, I think when you called in last week, I think when I just referenced Dr. Welsing, where she said, uh, be not discouraged. And I'm pretty sure Dr. Welsing would say racists would be much happier to see you say, yeah, this is whack and I'm just going to drop out because it's whack and the professors are racist. That would be the route they would prefer to see you take as opposed to sticking to and They do not want to see brilliant black scholars doing well in the classroom. They are not interested in seeing that at all. So I think they would, uh, I think the, the better route to go, even though it's much easier said than done is, is as she said, persevering and uh, finding a way to stay motivated uh, because that's exactly how they have designed the system to be, to just have us frustrated uh, and to just feel like, you know, it's, it's just, it's overwhelming and, and to just kind of let things go. That's exactly how they designed things for us to, uh, to function. Uh, did you, did you want to respond? Uh, no, I just want to say uh, thanks uh, for the, uh, encouragement from the listener that wrote in and uh, from you as well. And, um, man, you know, my birthday is on the 2nd of January, and uh, Dr. Wilson actually passed away on my birthday. And, um, you know, I took that as a sign of, um, you know, what my assignment actually is, um, especially considering my past. Um, and I think that um, I could be very useful um, as a tool counter in the system. Um, and that's kind of the thing that I've been getting, um, is just to, uh, just keep going, you know? Um, yeah. So, uh, thanks for letting me share. For sure. For sure. Uh, if you hang tight, we'll see what the, uh, we'll see what happened at Starbucks. If you are interested in hanging tight, uh, other folks who, uh, dialed in. If you had commentary you wanted to share, you should be with us. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Uh, greetings to you, Gus. Um, greetings to the other calls and listeners and to um, Rob as well. I would like to definitely encourage you to definitely persevere. It is extremely hard. Um, this is warfare, and obviously they're waging an acute war on your psyche in order to prevent, prevent you from... Um, doing the best that you can to uh, just just be upperly mobile and, and, and just trying to live as decent and comfortable a life as possible. And I concur with Gus as well. Um, that is by design. And they would prefer to see you go back, you know, the route of uh, the justice system rather than uh, legally finding something that makes you happy 
as well as gives you the opportunity to live um, live a better life um, for yourself and your family. So definitely, I would encourage you to persevere as well um, and just stand strong and um, and hopefully you'll be able to get to where you need to go so you no longer have to deal with these uh, these tacky races. Um, I just wanted to also give my workplace experiences. I have a couple of them. Um, today is the infamous uh, company Christmas party. And thankfully, I was able to decline uh, simply because it was on a weekday and I live uh, pretty far from my job. So I was not going to go to any uh, Christmas party stay there till 11 p.m. at night and then attempt to get up at like 4, 4.30 in the morning to go running back in there. So I said, nope, we'll not be making it tonight. And it turned out to be really, really good for me. Um, I don't like white people. They make me sick. And I prefer not to be around uh, human cancer. So it's a good thing for me in that regard. Um, last year, I did have to go. And I, I was codified. My wife was with me. And we got out of there after about an hour. So that was our code at that point. Um, also... Uh, my the situation that I discussed last Thursday in regards to my pay. <laughs> these white people are just 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 so refined with their racism. It just uh, gives you a lot to think about. Uh, so what they did was they gave us another short check between the check that I was supposed to be getting this coming Friday and the last one that they gave me that was short. And they didn't tell us we were getting it. At least I wasn't aware until after the fact. And then. They miraculously go are going back to the old way of paying us, which was the fifteenth and the thirtieth or thirty first thirty first of the month, um, depending on how that how long that month that particular month is. So um, that was the situation with that, and I'm still keeping an eye on them anyway, and I will be checking every paycheck because white people are thieves and white people are liars. Um, also, we had a meeting recently with the VP of our department. And he's a new guy, just came to the company maybe a month or so ago. I think he's like Irish or something. He has like a, an Irish accent, I think, or Scottish accent, one or the other. And he used to work for Apple. And when he first came to the company, they had a company-wide meeting, and he discussed his history, that he worked with Apple, he worked with Dr. Dre and Jimmy Iovine, and went in his whole spiel about working with all these people in the music business. This was maybe about a month, month and a half ago when he first started working for the company. Then after all of the things that have been taking place with um, the people that got let go months ago um, and the lives they took, the company told at that point, the recent uh, debacle with the paycheck situation that was just basically dumped on us, um, probably we were warned about it maybe a day or two before it happened. It wasn't something where we were given any notice. And then the droves of people that have been leaving the company just due to all of these horrific uh, racist decisions that they keep making that affect us or that us who are the uh, the front line as far as the ones who help manage members' accounts, and uh, so he wanted to have a meeting to help us become uh, to get more comfortable or help us deal with the situation. He said and basically um, be able to maintain our motivation. So in the meeting, he goes off on the same spiel about working at Apple and how wonderful it was and Dr. Dre and all this nonsense and nobody cared. Everybody was agitated. And in the meeting, I was able to see white people um and these are white people who work in our department so i call them like the field white people because the the white people that make the real money are on the sixth floor and all of the other people that do the real work are on the fifth floor which is where i am and it's, there's uh, a decent amount of white people there and they would they just went i mean i've never seen people white people so passionately angered about a company scenario and basically it sounded like they were mad that they were being treated like niggas and it was just interesting to watch 
the emotional expressions, the color changes, because they went through like a rainbow plethora of colors in uh, their whole explanation as to why they were um, upset about the situation at the company. And then the VP actually turned around and said um, that in, in so many words, he felt that, uh, that he didn't give any solutions. He didn't give any ideas for solutions. He basically felt that we were upset and that he understood that we were upset. But at the same time, we still have a job to do is basically his general attitude. So afterwards, we had another meeting with our immediate supervisors where everybody, again, um, and this, again, I saw the white people getting mad that they were treated like niggas. And they basically went off in that meeting and basically explained what they felt they didn't like about his approach to the first meeting. And he was planning to have a second meeting today. I wasn't at work today, so I missed the meeting. And, of course, I'm not at the party tonight, so I won't be, I won't be seeing any of them until tomorrow, which is fine with me. But ultimately, it just let me know that everything I've always thought and think about every company I work at is actually true, that white people are psychotic. They take a special interest in using uh, the plantation scenario at, in, the, uh, in the people activity of labor as a means to refine their terrorism of uh, black people. And um, when they get the opportunities, they'll throw a couple sacrificial white people in there with, with, with us. And um, just have their fun, um, just changing things and ruining people's lives and, and not really caring about it. And that was just an interesting experience. And then lastly, like today, I went out with my wife. We went shopping. And when we went shopping, we went to Trader Joe's, um, getting stuff for her parents. And while we were there, this white woman dropped some groceries. So my wife looks at me, she nudges me, and then she kind of points in the direction of the white female, thinking that I was going to pick up her stuff. So I looked at my wife, I looked at the white woman, and then I kept walking. So I didn't say anything in the moment, but when we left the store, I just said to her, I said, um, you have to remember, I don't help white people. And I said, I hope you don't. Um, but <laughs> I said, I hope you don't, because I said that can be very dangerous. But I said, I don't help white people, so please don't ever ask me or even nudge me or in, in, even imply for me to go help a white woman or a white man or a white elderly person or a white child with anything. And um, she looked at me and she said, okay, I understand. And I said, no, I said, I'm not angry at you. There's no, no mistake you made except for the fact that I don't help white people. And I said, from now on, just keep that in mind and we're good because I will never do anything to help them. And that was all of my workplace scenarios. Thank you for listening to me. And um, I'll meet my line. Thank you very much, guys. Right on. No helping white people. Loving reminder to the wife. Keep it pushing. Outstanding. Outstanding. And that... That will happen regularly. That is one of the things I really appreciate about when we conceptualize uh, counter-racism, the counter-racism effort as United Independent. You know, hey, because frequently if you're attempting to do something about racism, if you're attempting to counter racism, unfortunately, many victims, you know, might be upset with you about that or might try to (laughs) make your effort more difficult. That might happen. So that's why we encourage patient patience with victims lovingly patiently inform the wife don't help white people hope you don't either and you didn't help the white woman a plus all the way through um yeah the job situation i mean uh any situation where the paychecks are being changed and fumbled and all the excuses and what have you like Woof. If there were not red flags before, which you've kind of been updating us on their shenanigans for a while now, but if there were not red flags before, that would certainly uh, be, you know, cause for seriously updating the resume and aggressively job searching if they're having those sort of issues on a regular basis and having to, you know, explain things. Um, 
did folks have either questions or comments on what you've heard thus far? If you have your own situations that you wanted to share uh, as we try and get in some of the other folks as well. Appreciate hearing from Roz also. Uh, other folks that we have not heard from, questions, comments, your own situation you want to share? May I be heard? Yes, sir. Yes, I um, want to say greetings to the callers and to the host. I appreciate the show. It's also been very constructive for me. Um, I wanted to share a few of the uh, experiences I've had over the past couple of weeks. I didn't call in last week. Um, I'm self-employed, so I get to experience. Um, I, did, I was employed by a company for about 12 years, so it's new. I'm, I'm newly self-employed, so it's very new experience, uh, experiencing white people, specifically in their home and in their businesses. Um, I have a client. The first thing that came up weird was I had a client that sent me a text message. Um, they, they can communicate with me via text, and he sent me this text message, and I thought it was strange. And then when I read it, I realized that he is a white male, and uh, this was extremely um extremely suspicious to send someone this text message and I'll briefly read it. Hello, let me hope life is treating me, treating you positively. Will you have time to come out next week to help out? The sump pump is making a terrible noise. I need to install a sink, dishwasher and garbage disposal. Eventually I need some help with a bathroom sink and toilet too. Stay safe over the quote unquote holiday and avoid blankets being handed out by pilgrims. Exclamation point. Uh, he sent me that text message at about 11 o'clock on a, on a, I believe that was 20 to 23rd. Um, he said, you know, this is me, FYI, as if I didn't know who that was. And I just attempted to remain codified and not participate in that tacky exchange by just saying, yes, I can come out and, and get those repairs done. Um, very interesting. He has spoken to me previously about racism while I was working on his property, and I've tried to um, not engage him in conversation, but the last time I was there last Friday, he was talking to me about one of his neighbors who, um, another who is a non-white male, a black male, who some of the other young children on the street tend to call nigga because they feel that that is appropriate. They feel that it's a joking term. Uh, these are white children who speak to him that way. And he was telling me how he was having to teach the other white children on his street not to call the um, the non-white black male uh, a nigger because that was inappropriate for them to say. Um, I thought that it was a, a good time to ask him a few questions, just taking advantage of white people being honest and candid about racism if they truly want to do something about it. And I asked him if all black people should be, or all non-white people should be suspicious of white people as practicing racism or as white supremacists. And he paused for a second and he said, yes. Then he proceeded to tell me that his father and mother are racist. And his explanation was that they were born in a different time. I found it was very similar to a lot of the interviews that you have with authors and um, professors who are white and they generally try to put off racism on other white people, but they never want to say, Hey, look, I'm practicing racism or I'm a racist. And I felt he was kind of trying to push it off on them. And he just loves all black people. Very Tim Wise-ish to me. Um, the second client that I have, I, I, I had to write this down. So it was great. It's a South African client and she's in her early fifties. 
and she came to the U.S. over 15 years ago. So that means that she lived in South Africa during apartheid. She actually lived an hour south of Johannesburg. And our conversations are extremely um, tense because she is a white female, and I'm very distrustful of white females and suspicious of their motives, specifically uh, when it comes to being alone with them at their homes, and I'm very leery. I've actually turned down work before because I did not want to be alone with white females. Uh, she has invited me to her home to do work for her, and I'm just going through all the rooms. Her son happens to be home, and I go into her son's room, and he's playing video games. His room's a mess. Um, he has animal heads, like safari animal heads, like zebras, gazelles. These are on the walls of his bedroom. Um, where he sleeps. And I walk in the room to take a measurement with his mother. Of course, he's very quiet, um, you know, racist child. He was about 14 or 15. I'm completely convinced that um, he knew he was not going to divert his attention away from the television to look at me. And I looked on his counter or on his, his bed stand, and he had gun cases, not like fake guns, but real gun cases throughout his room. Um, it, it, to me, just highlighted the danger of white people. They're just extremely, I mean, I could have been perceived as a threat, quote unquote, at any moment. Uh, and with impunity, there could have been action taken against me and by this young man. So again, I'm, I'm literally sweating bullets over here just trying to get out the house and hightail it to where it's safe uh, because these white people are, are, are crazy um, with a 15-year-old that has guns in his room. Uh, and the third and last one was a tragic arrangement, a uh, couple that I recently did some work for. Um, the husband in his late 30s is a white male, and the wife in her early 40s was a, a non-white female. She classified herself as um, mixed with Filipino and black. Um, extremely interesting scenario. He, When he told me his wife, who wasn't home at the time, was black, I, I almost kind of fell back because he's like a, you know, all-American white guy, and then she comes into the house and starts talking with me. Um, she finds out, you know, I have young children. They have a child of the year. I have twins. So they, they, with the commonality, she starts talking with me, and I could see very much the, um, the state of confusion that she was in, ultra-Christian, um, but they go to separate churches, and I thought that was very interesting. She told me that he would not go to church with her. And her father is a black pastor in a church, she later revealed to me. But um, the husband will not go to her church. He says that they have a good thing, they both love God, but they will not go. To me, that was just more confirmation that uh, the religion of white supremacy is white supremacy, and um, Christianity is just used as a front um, for that. Um, very, uh, t the tension between, the, the, between us was that I, I was talking to her, her husband stood behind her and was watching me talk to her. Um, again, just reinforcing that racists love to watch as the first, or as that young caller who was, who was uh, uh, he said he was in the Army and, and, you know, was probably being observed on his post when his commander came up with, the, or that man came up with that tacky comment. I believe white supremacists like to observe non-white people when they are uh, having constructive dialogue. And I quickly realized, heck, I don't know. He, he just wanted to watch us talk. Um, she told me how he disdained other cultures, but he, uh, you know, for some reason, I guess he married a non-white person. 
um, again, just the abusive, tacky relationship, almost terroristic. And now, unfortunately, they've brought a child into this world together, so uh, the confusion will, will continue. Um, th- those were my comments that I had, my experiences from the past couple of weeks. I'll take my call offline. Thank you. Fascinating. Wow. That is uh, that is right interesting with your job. Uh, you're still in, I mean, I, I guess it could be logical to say that as long as the system of, of white supremacy exists, the entire planet is a white supremacy dominated space, uh, a white space, if you will. But uh, you're actually in these racists like residents. Like that's like, uh, I mean, that's like a whole different level of you know when they say behind enemy lines, like you're in their residence. So like you're seeing all their trophies and racist paraphernalia, and they got the heads of like you said the in the second uh, situation that you discussed where these folks have come from South Africa and they got you know stuff where they went out. I forgot the. Uh, the lion from last year um, that was shot and killed and caused the big brouhaha from last, was it Leo or whatever his name was? Um, but I mean, that sort of activity I, that the white people kill for fun, infamous uh, saying from here on the context of white supremacy, Mr. Nero. Uh, but yeah, you're actually in their residence. So that's like a different, I don't, I think a lot of the, most of the non-white people probably participating uh, this evening, I suspect most of us, our, exper- our experiences with whites is not in their house, even though a lot of black people have done that over the years. I don't think now most people on this line, I don't think that's most of our experience. So all of everything, just that happening in their, literally in their backyard and, and getting to see the guns that they have and the kind of worship of killing and and then the the last one where he's sexually exploiting this non-white female and kind of admiring just having you all under surveillance to see what it is that you're talking about and what she's I mean wow that is a excellent opportunity to do research up close man be safe I that I guess uh emphasize that as well I would definitely be uh be safe like when you were talking about in the um Second situation, the folks from South Africa and seeing all the guns and safari and just the danger of it all. I would definitely keep that in mind, particularly with everything that's been happening. And I just my sense, it seems like an escalation of violent uh, violence, targeting black people happening very quickly with strangers and taking very little provocation. So I would certainly keep that in mind. Uh, Anything seems like it's, you know, uncomfortable or if they're getting loud or anything, I would, I would be, uh, I would have my code together about exiting promptly. Uh, Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Uh, Greetings, everyone. Uh, my uh, workplace racism. Well, um, being that I'm the retired firefighter, I have been in a lot of white people's homes, uh, primarily uh, uh, primarily uh, they were the ones who uh, could not afford to leave out of the area. Uh, it's called white flight, I guess. Uh, and uh, some of the filthiest I mean, the absolute filthiest homes that I've been into, it's not even close, has been white people homes. Uh, there's a uh, television program, I haven't really watched it because I actually experienced it, called Hoarding. And whatever that program demonstrates, 
I have seen it uh, going on emergency calls in white people's homes primarily uh, to where you can barely move around inside the house. It's so crowded with filth of all different types, dead animals, dogs, cats, rats, uh, no telling what else may be dead in the house. Uh, the stench is at such a high level that in some cases we would actually would have to wear our, our air mask in tanks to be able to go into that house. Whereas the white person just be walking around in there with, uh, you know, just like if, you know, just like it's normal, you know, you, you literally couldn't stand the, the, the stench, uh, that, that exists. Uh, but anyway, I, I just brought that up because someone was talking about, uh, uh, go, uh, uh, the last call, I believe, uh, part of his business is going to people's homes. And I was just giving my, um, example of that, but, uh, uh, last and final report of this year, uh, high school football, uh, we have, uh, finishing up, uh, it actually has been quite successful. Uh, we have earned, uh, the right to play in the state of Florida, uh, championship in Orlando, Florida. We will actually, our game would actually be the, the last game because it's the largest high school class. Uh, you're talking about all black coaching staff. Uh, 99% of the players are non-white black males. Uh, we only have two players that can be uh, identified as, as white. Uh, and they, they hardly play. Uh, but uh, out of the 11 starters that I coach on defense, uh, all of them either have uh, scholarship offers uh, or they are committed to uh, colleges from all around the country. Uh, and uh, now the the negative aspect, <laughs> the negative aspect. Uh, when approaching the semifinal game, uh, that that's when the team that perhaps could make it to the finals uh, should start, uh, you know, calling hotels, making arrangements uh, to get to Orlando. Uh, the, the 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 trip itself is about four hours away from uh, uh, Miami, uh, and you know you should make start making your plans now. A, a, a friend of mine, it's the same guy that I was mentioning to you about uh, that I think would be a good guest on your on your program. Uh, he uh, is a proponent of District One, uh, which is the area that uh, serves most of our children in Miami-Dade County Public Schools, and uh, his high school that he went to. He made, he was the principal of making the arrangements uh, in the five or six years that his team was going. So he knew, knew what he was doing and he sought to share it with the administration at the high school where I'm a coach at. I kind of like cringe because all I, what I know about these people, all of, all of them are white. They either speak Spanish or they speak English. One or two, but they are white people. And I knew what that answer was going to be. 
I just shared I just shared the information with the head coach, and in turn, uh, he got in touch with uh, this white guy, uh, the athletic director. But I knew I knew what the answer was going to be, uh, and they, you know, just turned it all all the stuff all of that down and did their own thing, so to speak. Uh, as we all know, white people would actually go against their own best interests. Uh, uh, in this case, if they saw a black person that was giving them something that was helpful, that's helpful to them, that they that they already knew about, white people would would, would disregard that. That's not unusual, even at their best interest. Uh, the place actually, all the arrangements were actually, uh, you know, it's white people also, but uh, it doesn't make a difference with a black person that that shared it with them, and they weren't hearing it. Uh, so I'm not surprised about it. But anyway, uh, the retired fire, fire, firefighter goes as a football coach. Uh, so uh, the whole idea is to go up there, win, and come back. Uh, we will be leaving uh, tomorrow morning and get back uh, Saturday evening. Uh, hopefully I'll be able to listen to uh, the uh, broadcast on Saturday evening. Uh, I would sure, surely would like to be able to participate, but anyway, that's my, uh, that's my, uh, workplace racism for the week. Thank you. Appreciate that. Um, best wishes, uh, for the team. Uh, hope they uh, have a great time. No injuries, no injuries. And, uh, hopefully they will be uh, successful. Uh, all black coaching staff, outstanding. Uh, yeah, this would be actually this would be my sixth time uh, with the same the same scenario. All black coaching staff. I, uh, I mean, come on, I, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't, I would, I don't have to work, so I, I would, I would be dealing with it any any other way other than that. Thank you. For sure, for sure, working together constructively. Uh, May I be heard? Yes, ma'am. We can hear you. Okay. Good evening to everyone and the host. Um, I have called earlier about um, the arbitration agreement, and I actually dropped you an email um, a few months ago. Uh, just want to follow up what's going on with the job. Um, I was hired about thirty, approximately 30, uh, 32 days after I was hired. I was actually assigned. And um, afterwards, I've only been assigned for two weekends. So since then, I've, I've only worked two weekends within two months, a two-month period. And when I was actually assigned to uh, the position, um, it wasn't the location that we discussed at the interview, and it wasn't the job that I was orientated for. It's a totally different assignment. Um, to add insult to injury, there were no tools or literature available. So the work that I had to do, I had to ad lib the whole way through. And um, I haven't worked since. So um, based on your, you and your guests, all, all of the, the, the great input that you have um, given o- over, the, over the times that I've been listening, I've actually kept great records and detailed records. And I formulated a letter to every manager that I can get, that I could get um, email addresses for. And I cc'd every manager, even those who may or may not be, who may indirectly or directly be responsible. I'm not sure who's responsible, 
but I gave a detailed um, letter letting, uh, letting them know that I haven't worked. I was hired. Uh, I, had, I didn't start working until 32 days after I was hired. I was hired with 15 other people. I asked um, questions, which you, you, you know, you have all, you're great at, you know, letting us know, telling us to ask questions. So I've asked questions. My primary question is, is this happening with everyone or is this just me? And that was like almost like letter, word for word. That's how I worded it. And I also went, uh, gave facts and details, no emotions, uh, nothing about how I feel, just um, giving facts and details, the conversations that I've had, and so on and so forth. And immediately after that, um, approximately three days afterwards, not only did um, I receive, not only have I, have I been given a location, a location that I requested, but I've also been given an assignment along with the proper literature and training. So everything has been reiterated, and, I mean, they are crossing their T's and t dying their eyes. But um, that doesn't make me any less of a target. It may, it may make me more of a target, but I am following through with everything that um, all the suggestions that I've heard on the show so far. That's it. Music to my ears. Awesome. That's why I say to people, if you figure out some things that work, that's great. You can share. And that particular part where she said this is not boogaloo time and we are not throwing a celebration, this may mean that they are cooking up something else to come after me because that's probably what it means. Uh, they're thinking of something right now just for you. Uh, to mess something up or it'll be some reason where now we got to move your assignment uh, again or, you know, we got to switch this around or anything uh, like that. But I mean, at the end of the day, those are exact things that we talk about on a weekly basis, not because, you know, it's cool. I think I sound great when I get to say documentation just because I've seen where that can be key when you have documentation so that you, number one, first and foremost, uh, you yourself uh, have, you don't have to rely on your memory. You have detailed notes to help you keep track of everything that's happened and so that you have a record because you never know something that happened at the beginning of the year could end up being relevant five years later. You have a record so you can keep track of everything. It can help you see patterns and it shows that you're serious. When you go in to have dialogue, it's not, oh, well, I think such and such and maybe it was here. It was let me pull out, you know, if you have your mobile device. Okay, so this is the note, and I can put it up on the screen if you need to see it, or I've already emailed everybody in the room so you have the same document that I do, and you can just go down bullet point. That gives a totally different message when you're talking, dealing with whites, if you have to bust these notes out and use them in a meeting. And like I said, primarily just for you to keep things straight and then training. When you started telling us about your situation, just training you for one site and then it ends up being someplace else they don't have proper uh literature for you to understand your job i mean these are standard things that happen all the time where it's designed for you to fail for you to be bumbling and act like you don't know what you're doing and incompetent we have designed this for you to be incompetent so that you don't function well so we can fire you or whatever we want to do uh with you in the job just these are, are just standard things that can i have seen it's not saying it's going to totally stop racism it's not saying that it's going to you know solve all of your problems but it certainly can be helpful at minimum asking questions documentation ask for proper training keep asking questions until your answers are satisfied just some of those basic things they can be very very helpful uh to non-white people in the workplace so i'm glad some of the information was useful and uh keep us updated because i'm sure they got round two coming just be prepared 
Yes, sir. And may I also add, um, may I add something else, or would you like me to call back later? Oh, uh, proceed, proceed. Okay, um, the position that I had um, prior to this one, um, the position I had prior to this one um, was I was quickly uh, moved to a diff- from part-time to full-time. So, I, you know, I don't know whether it's something that they saw in me or they um, actually put me in a position to fail. Um, thanks for opening my eyes to that as well. But um, I just want to let you know that um, that position was supposed to be overnight, um, 11 to 7 exactly. And um, once I actually began doing the job and doing the job well, I actually um, saw some, I started bringing up things that were um, out of cold. And um, that really uh, would shine. If, if you look at, I'm working with food, so if looking for things, if I saw things that are out of cold, um, that actually will shine light on the management um, uh, irresponsibility or inadequacies. Uh, with that, so with that being said, they had to get me out of the way. And one of the strategy, strategies that they used was they changed my shift from 11 to 7 to 4 a.m. to 12.30 uh, p.m., which, um, by the way, was impossible, to, um, almost impossible to get there on time every morning because, um, as they know, I rely on public transportation and in my city, um, the buses don't even begin working until um, they don't start until 5 o'clock. So with, with that being said, I was like immediately um, every day was like 10 minutes late, 5 minutes late, you know, just trying to find, trying to find different ways to get to work. And it was, um, you know, of course, it was, it, was, it, was, it was my way out of the door. So uh, with, with that being said, um, with, with listening to you, I now have a strategy, and I know how to counter, counteract that. And I really, really, really appreciate this show, and I'm learning how to be codified because I'm, I was the most uncodified person you would ever meet. I'm Baltimore all the way. So thank you so much again, and I'll meet my line. Oh, for sure. Glad to hear it. Keep us updated. Like I said, they'll definitely have uh, round two, and all of us still learning, just trying to be – codified and the no emotion i think that's really important too because i know so many times it's so frustrating and they just do things to just to be spiteful just to be evil just to be vicious they do that sort of thing on a regular basis so many people have testified to that in the workplace specifically that it gets designed to have you you know get angry to be upset about things uh, and it's messing with your livelihood you know the ability to take care of yourself and your family what have you but um I think it, it really it serves us. It's in our best interest as much as we can to just be logical in our approach. Uh, you know, you can be emotional. That's fine. But just manage your emotions. I put that in the description. Recognize when you're getting upset, manage that and then just go right back to let me be professional. Let me be a professional counter racist soldier and how I deal with these racists. That's the mindset that we should have in the workplace, really, at all times, but especially in the workplace. Uh, other folks have questions, comments uh, they wanted to get in? Can I be heard? Yes, ma'am. Uh, good evening, uh, Gus, and to all the callers on the line. Um, this is Kendra. Um, Rob, uh, the gentleman who spoke, uh, I think, a few callers ago, I think he said his name was Rob, or one of those first uh, few callers. Um, I second what Rob um, said. Just hang in there. Uh, you're absolutely correct, Rob. It's not, in, uh, it's not easy. I myself am trying to um, pursue an MBA degree. So I understand um, your challenge and frustration. Um, but I think um, we can do more damage to the system of racism, uh, white supremacy, uh, by getting that degree. Um, so anyway, I would like to uh, share a couple of workplace um, 
incidents uh, that have taken place over the last two to three weeks. Uh, so myself and five other coworkers, uh, three of us, us uh, which um, three of them, which are white, and two of us being black, um, non-white, were all in our company's uh, sign shops um, waiting for some signage. We all requested. So as I've shared prior, um, I work for one of the largest beer uh, distributors in the U.S., if not the biggest. Um, so all five of us were waiting um, for our signs and whatever else. We were all chatting. Um, there was a, a white female in the group, and she asked if any of us um, were getting any kind of weird text messages on our company-provided cell phones. Um, incidentally, we all had been notified a week or so prior about by our IT department uh, to not respond or open any links outside of what the company or our immediate customers sent to us. Well, of course, uh, this white female um, did not um, oblige and open the link uh, to the text message um, she asked us all about. So she stated um, when she opened up the link, it took her to a GoFundMe page um, where an individual was asking, I think she said it was for $600 uh, to pay for medical school. So one of the white um, males just out of nowhere said, um, where is this medical school located? Haiti, Africa? Um, where you only need $600, everyone just in the room just started laughing. They probably laughed, I don't know, for a few minutes among themselves. Um, I was pretty upset by the comments. I'm not going to uh, lie and say I wasn't, but I didn't say anything. Um, I just, you know, picked up what I needed to get and, uh, and left. So um, that was one incident. So the second incident um, that occurred um, I uh, wanted to talk. Um, I wanted to uh, talk about was myself walking up uh, on a coworker that is in uh, the same department that uh, we oversee together. So we share an office space. Half the room belongs to him. The other half is mine. So when I walked into our office, his back was towards me. So uh, he didn't see me walking through the door. He was on his uh, phone, his own personal phone, not uh, the company provided phone. Um, as I was walking up to him to say good morning to him, I noticed he was on a Facebook page and he was looking at a photo of um, President Obama with a noose around his neck. Uh, when he saw me, he quickly placed his phone down on his desk and said uh, good morning to me. Um, I said good morning back and went to my desk and I didn't say anything about it to him or um, anyone else. I did share it with one coworker who I truly, truly, truly trust and I know um, he's not going to go back and say anything. Um, but that was it. Those are my two incidents. With the first situation where they were talking about the medical school price or whatever, and, you know, it had to be someplace in Haiti or Africa or whatever, did you think you should have said something, uh, in response? No, I didn't think I should have said anything. Um, there was a, like I said, there was two of us, uh, there was another black male who laughed as well. I mean, he's a victim, so we all are. And maybe a year and a half ago, prior to me get, gaining a better understanding through this show, I would have laughed as, along. I, I'm not going to say I wouldn't. But no, I didn't think I should have said anything. I did the right thing. I was just really upset, and I felt myself getting upset. So that made me want to say something to them, you know, but I didn't. Yeah. It's one of those, um, 
I know for a lot of people in that, you know, type of situation, we feel like, you know, we, we should say something or what have you. And I've concluded in a lot of those situations where somebody says something, if it's a white person or a non-white person, and they say something like that, uh, it might be best to say nothing. Um, you know, if anything, that's another situation where you can document if it's a white person who says something. Um, it's just one of those, particularly if non-white people and that added context if non-white people are participating in any way if they're laughing because uh, it could very in easily end up being everybody fussing at you like oh man there you go everybody we were all having a good I, and i have seen that sort of thing happen uh and it's easy particularly if you had non-white people who thought this was funny or were involved in some kind of way and again everybody were victims uh you got that and people don't want to lose their job they don't want to upset white folks uh it could very easily end up you know turning against the whole everybody in the room is against you so it's it's definitely one to carefully consider if something need be said at all and then what exactly you can say that won't make any more problems particularly for you <laughs> wow fascinating uh fascinating incidents uh great observation i don't know what the second one since it was on his cell phone that's just a good uh observation it might be interesting to just as moving forward if he thinks that you might have seen what he was looking at the uh i guess image of obama with a noose around his neck if he thinks you might have seen that if he you know tries to be extra nice or is cautious in dealing with you uh over the next few days or so might be something to pay attention to but uh it, it does not surprise me at all probably be a lot more of that and i wouldn't even be surprised i think uh chantelle i think she'll probably remember uh, it was about a year ago. She had coworkers on her job. They were just sending around tons and tons and tons of inappropriate, like me things like that, uh, on the company email, same type of thing. They were just doing that all day long. Uh, so it'll probably be more of that, uh, as things continue, just, you know, stay alert for that type of thing. Uh, other folks have, uh, questions or your own observations you would like to share. Feel free. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Uh, good evening, everybody. I hope everybody is great. Um, this is, uh, I don't even got to give myself a name, mortgage guy from uh, Virginia. Um, a lot of incidents, uh, not necessarily incidents, but a lot of good observations I made um, tonight. Um, we actually had a, I didn't attend, but they had their, uh, my mortgage company I work with had their holiday Christmas party. And, um, it's funny because this morning I get to the office and I open up my email and the CEO of the company literally sent out a huge email advising on company behavior and um, talking specifically about we are providing Ubers, we are providing cabs, we're even providing hotel rooms. And I'm just like, man, that's a lot of money. Um, but it's just funny because that is the expectation that if you go there, you're going to get drunk and act inappropriately. I didn't attend the event, but it was a lot of that. And a lot of people were asking, Hey, are you going? Um, I think I mentioned before, I haven't gone to one holiday party since I've been in the mortgage business. And that's been for the last um, 15 years, but it's been specifically based upon the fact that, um, and a lot of white people get drunk and nothing good, uh, ever happens really ever happens from it. Um, another thing was, um, it's real interesting that is in my office, and it is work-related, but um, 
I met a realtor, real nice, non-white female. Her and I were talking and about the area of education. And um, she had just said something that was just really uh, interesting to me, but I had picked up on it a long time ago. And she has a child that is uh, a college student. And my son is a junior, and he's an athlete, and, you know, looking at schools and things of that nature. And we just start talking in the office, and um, we just start talking about different things in reference to education. And she said, yeah, my daughter had an opportunity to go to an HBCU. They gave her a full ride. And I said, let me guess, she didn't want to go. And she said, no. And I said, why is that? And she said, well, you know why. She's scared of her own people. And then I just said, I don't necessarily think it's that. I just think that, you know, I I, I, I was trying to be as codified as possible. I said, I don't think it's that. I just think that uh, people uh, just think that maybe for some reason these kids don't have a good understanding of why HBCUs to them don't have any value. And she said, oh, I've never thought of it like that. And I said, yeah, I mean, because, you know, higher education, whatever that's called, uh, is that real? And and just to have a good conversation like that in the workplace is ex- was extremely uh, effective. And her and I, you know, we developed a relationship. We're going to do some business together. But, you know, it was good uh, because in my particular office, there's nobody in my office. I mean, it's, it's all white people. So anytime you can actually have a conversation with a uh non white person and they seem like they have they're not super confused, it's really good. And then I have another interesting incident and then I'll be quiet, but um I have knee problems. <laughs> so uh from where I tore an ACL a couple of years ago and I was getting a massage and I know you might say, What does this have to do with workplace racism? But my massage therapist is a non white uh female, real nice lady and she just started talking about racism and things of that nature. And sometimes I think that when we talk, and I know um, being patient with other black people is extremely important, um, but, uh, you know, we started talking, and, we, and I actually laying on the table, started talking about Dr. Welsing and, and, um, and the cows and, and not, you know, preaching, but just talking and just saying, you know, you should think about this and think about this and think about this. And she sent me a text message, like yesterday, just out of the blue, and her text message said specifically, you know, one of the things that I keep thinking about what she said was how easy it is to chastise another non-white or black person when we really should be chastising the system of white supremacy when they are the number one culprits of all this behavior. And she said, I really appreciate you sharing that with me. And that just made me smile, but it also just helps realize even when we're on the job or even when we're dealing with family or just in any of our interactions with people specifically, but at work or in any social setting, you just never know uh, what effect you can have on people. So that was really, I mean, I was, I was ecstatic. Because uh, even sometimes on the job, you know, when you're talking to people about racism, being codified, sometimes you think you're just yapping, but, um, you know, if people want to learn, you know, they're ready to learn. And that's all I got. And uh, I appreciate it. I'll need my life. Thanks, guys. That is great. That is great. I'm hearing uh, the background static. Okay. 
I'll open uh, your line back up as well. Two eight one two. Hearing a little bit of background noise. The caller. I think you're on the Vope line, uh, Sister Locks. If you want to ring back, uh, we can open your line up. I was just hearing a little bit of the background echo. Sometimes the people that are on the Vope line, um, we can hear. Uh, depending on how you have your sound set up. Uh, so I was just waiting until uh, you decided to speak. But uh, if you want to dial back in to share, feel free. We have ample time. Uh, the number again, 641-715-3640. The code is 564-943-POUND. Press star six if you would like to participate. Always music to my ears, uh, hearing folks uh, sharing uh, constructive information with other victims, being patient and encouraging patients with other victims of racism, uh, and reminding us of who is most to blame for the system of racism, white supremacy. Uh, other folks that we have not heard from. Oh, there she is. Uh, Sister Locks, did you have a uh, commentary you wanted to share? Uh, yes, I did, Gus. I um, forgot to add one important note um, about the position that I, um, where my hours were changed to 4 a.m. Um, I actually had a conversation with the manager about that. And I, when, I, when I had the conversation, like I said earlier, I was very uncodified. And I asked him, would he allow his daughter or his wife to work or, or wait for the bus at, four, at three, 3 in the morning? Would, would he allow his the women and his family to um, put themselves in danger to get to work. And his reply was basically it's a job. It's a responsibility. You have to do what you have to do to get to work. Well, believe it or not, he was kidnapped from the job at five in the morning. He was kidnapped from his car. He was jacked and he was kidnapped from his car about five in the morning, um, approximately a month after I was fired. So he quickly learned how dangerous it was to be out in that area. And he no longer works for the company, but that, that's, that's, that's just what happened. And um, it's just, hey, it's just God in motion. I mute my line. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> wow. Uh, other folks have... Uh, Good for him. Right, right. Uh, other folks have commentary that they wanted to share. Feel free. Um, yes. Yes, sir. Uh, yes, thank you. I just wanted to speak to one of the earlier callers. Um, there was the the um, black male who worked in the house with the South African uh, people with the safari, the kid with the safari heads on his wall and stuff, and the guns in his room. And he had said something that really stood out to me. He had said that. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, that he has um, a high alertness for working um, alone in the home with white females and that he makes it a point not to do that. And I just wanted to say that is a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant code. Um, and it's something that stood out to me um, that I wanted to kind of bring light to because when I used to work at Comcast, um, we worked in the area in Philadelphia and we would have uh, uh, technicians that would go out to the house to, to people's homes to repair or install equipment. And I had heard so many stories of them going to the houses of white women who some of them who were notorious for sleeping with the women if they offer sexual favors for extra, you know, 
equipment or if one of the guys had um, information on how to get how to get uh, illegal boxes, they would, they would set them up for these women for sexual favors. And then um, some of them would have gotten in trouble for the same thing. Um, and beyond the sexual uh, aspect of it, you also have the danger of them just telling a lie on you and getting you put in jail or potentially shot and killed. So I just thought that that was something that was very important. And for those people who might be self-employed or might work in a situation um, like that, where you might have to go into white women's homes, if you can avoid that at all costs, that is something that is very, very important. Thank you. And I'll be my line. Great suggestions. Great suggestions. Uh, might be a good <clears throat> idea to have a recorder as well. Uh, we always talk about little technological advances that might be a benefit if you got to be in their residence to have your own personal recording device. So if there are accusations or what have you, you have uh, some some proof, something on your side to uh, evidence your perspective. Uh, other folks that we anybody we haven't heard from, if you had commentary you want to share, feel free. We, uh, Can I be heard? Uh, yes, ma'am. Greetings, everybody. Um, I have my own workplace racism story that I want to share. I'm actually really happy to share it with you all. But first, I wanted to comment on um, a few of the other people's story that chimed in. Um, for the soldier, um, I, you know, I wasn't able to hear if you were being, like, really hard on yourself, but you mentioned... Um, not knowing certain information at a certain time and that if you had had it before, maybe you wouldn't have joined the army. And I totally understand that, but I would just say, you know, don't be too hard on yourself when it comes to not knowing stuff sooner. Um, not having the information that you have now before, like it's okay. Um, and it's just good that you have it now. And uh, both of my parents, um, were in the army, and last night they actually shared some of their stories with me. And I'll just tell them like really, really quickly. Hopefully, one day they're going to call in and share their own stories. Um, as of right now, they're checking out the podcast and we talk and stuff. But anywho, um, for my mother, one of her—I don't know all the correct titles of people—but the person that was like above her, above her, who made choices of whether or not she got deployed. Um, and certain things like that, told her, like, from the, like, the day he met her, she was the only black female, and there was only one black male in the entire platoon, squad, team, I'm not sure. Anyway, he looked at her and he said, I don't like you. He said, you're black, you're a woman, and you talk too much. And um, it got so bad that they eventually, like, transferred her to another team or platoon. Um but things like, like when she was six months pregnant, like with me, she still had to do a PT test. They made her deploy like two weeks or three weeks after I was born, like things like that, that, you know, white women were on bed rest their entire pregnancy who, you know, in the same environment or platoon or whatever, but they were doing these things to her. So they eventually transferred her. And then with my father, um, they would used to get to like, you know, there's bigger soldiers and like smaller soldiers or whatever, and they would get like black people to fight, which I forget the, and like pretty much beat each other up and like 
establish a hierarchy, but I know that that's a historical thing as well, um, having Black people fight. Um, okay, then for the uh, uh, gentleman who's self-employed, while you were talking, the um, I just kept thinking of that white people are sexually oriented. So even things that people who aren't sexually oriented are not going to be thinking about, they're, as far as I understand, and I could be totally incorrect, but they're just deviant sexually. And I know that his wife is not a white female, but I, for some reason, I just got the strangest feeling that that was like a, a, on the spectrum of cuckold, cuckold or whatever, C-U-C-K-O-L-D, um, the one where the white male likes to see his female engaging in sexual activity with a black male. Just like, I mean, he's standing behind her. For some reason, I pictured him with his arms crossed, like who knows how he was posturing or if, you know, for some reason, it just read to me as a sexually perverted um, situation. And that, you know, but I just wanted to share that. I could be totally incorrect, but it was in my mind while you were speaking. And then um, with the woman who shared her email, I think her name is Chantel. Um, yes. Absolutely. They totally, totally get us with the like buying us stuff, making us feel special and then like being nice to us. And then this is at least from my own experience. And then the minute, you know, there's any type of, you know, we're just not as placating or there's like a real situation, all of it, in my experience, has just come like comes crumbling down. And the next thing you know, you're being called out and disrespected and thrown under the bus and now you were just the worst person ever and they justify it saying oh well we did all this stuff for you and we were like this and you couldn't even and it just gets bad um i like white people like all around the world everyone knows that americans smile too much like this is something i've heard a lot like white people smile too much and they know that that's like something's not right about that like you smiling that much means that you are definitely hiding something. So I think about that. And I thought about that when you, uh, when Gus read your email. And then um, for the student, uh, you know, maybe I missed it. I'm not so sure. But I was, if this is a white female professor, I thought to myself, why does she have your cell phone number? And not, I don't answer that. That is none of my business. But it was my thought, like, well, what's up with that? And if she, however she got it, for whatever means she has it, I don't think it's, proper for her to call you and just start talking to you as if y'all are cool and then terrorize you with her negativity telling you oh well that's something I don't think you're going to be able to do look like why are you calling my phone you know I don't know if she has in case of emergencies or something like like I don't know but I think it is extremely inappropriate for her to call you and talk to you about your life she's not account like I mean I, I don't know what she is whatever still um inappropriate and I would um advise I could be incorrect but that you nip that in the bud uh no calling me at all like put that in writing in an email or something like that like don't even text me um but anyway I have my own if there's time I can like circle back and share my own thanks Fascinating, fascinating. Appreciate the uh, commentary. Oh, there's Chantel. Greetings, toodle Chantel. Hello, Gus. How are you? Right, poorly. How are you? 
poorly. Not doing so well. Um, the last caller who just spoke. What was? Uh, what is your name? What is your name? Eighteen forty-two. Yeah. Um, it's funny you just mentioned about um, with white people like smiling all the time in your face. I get that all the time, and ever and ever since I haven't been codified, um, I have gotten that. And then what, like you said, what would happen is they'll completely switch on you. They'll call you under the bus for something, and then you're sitting there wondering, like, okay, they were nice to me before, and now they're being mean to me. So I get that all the time. And so now I have to now be codified, um, and I'm already going to be looking for another job. They're not aware of that. So until then, I have to stay codified because I'm getting to a point where I feel like I want to say something, but I know if I say something, then it's going to be a problem. Say something about what specifically? Um, In terms of them being disrespectful towards me, um, it's, I, I mean, it's one of those things I can't really, and I'm the only black person that works there, so I'm, I'm obviously already as a target. Um, it's just one of those situations where you really can't say anything as much as they say, oh, if you haven't, they're with you all the time. If you have a problem, you know, let us know. Okay. But I have done that, like, at least one or twice for different situations, and then it seems to be a problem, so... Mm, definitely encourage uh, if you're being mistreated, if uh, you said disrespected, if you're being mistreated uh, or treated discourteously, um, <clears throat> I would try to address that sooner than later. It's been my experience. If it's if it's anything incorrect or any unwanted uh, behavior that's targeting you, the longer you let it go, it tends to be more difficult to get it stopped. Uh, that's not just the unwanted touching or any sort of uh, sexual harassment or anything like that. But if it's been my experience, race, I think even some of our white guests have admitted this racist. They like to, to try victims. They like to practice racism. So we got some new niggers here. Let's, you know, see how much mistreatment we can get on them and just keep going, 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 going. Uh, That typically tends to be the way that they function. So uh, I do suggest if there's some incorrect things that are happening that you do want to say something about, it tends to be best uh, to do it sooner than later. Yeah, I I actually was thinking about um, doing that sometime, um, either tomorrow, I haven't decided on what day, either tomorrow or uh, next week. And it's really me addressing my concerns to uh, my boss, just so I can get an idea as to uh, what's going on. Um, cause it's, and, I, and my other job, as you mentioned, Gus, I was very uh, codified with some situations that have happened. Um, although it, it, it obviously with me being codified, it seems to have scared some of my white coworkers. Um, you know, I say codified didn't bother me really that much. Um, I did get a, a white coworker supposedly in trouble. Um, but obviously looking at the effects from that, um, I'm not really bothered by it. Um, but I moved on from that job, and with this particular job, I feel I really uh, did not stay codified. Um, so, yeah, I'm a little bit mad about my 
at myself about it. But going forward, um, I'm definitely going to have to do that going to my next job. Good lesson to learn early in your work career. At least I can. One thing that I can say has been my experience. Um, if you can start, I think Roz, when he gives a suggestion, like particularly when you get a job opportunity to start on a new job, it doesn't mean you can't do it on a job you haven't been on. But if you are just starting out on a job, oh man, layup makes it easy. You can just establish from the beginning. <laughs> this is how I function. I, you know, I'm not all giggles and I'm not coming in with cupcakes and sprinkles every day. I don't do holidays. I'm Kurt. If you need help, let me know. I'm here to help. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a part of the, the business, you know, company that we have here, the enterprise. And I want to see everybody do well. I want to do well, but I'm not, you know, on all the hug and I'm not going to win miss or Mr. Congeniality. You can just get that established up front so that they know what to expect. Uh, and then the touching, if they're doing any of that, or they're talking to you a way that's incorrect, you can just get all that, you know, established up front and boop, move forward. And it's been my experience when when we tend to be more codified. It's beyond just myself. It's been my experience that non-white people tend to be more codified. It's been my experience that whites, they will try fewer things. They will do less stuff. They will be a little bit more cautious about how they deal with you if they see this person is alert this person is paying attention this person is showing some black self-respect uh to point out when we're mistreating them and to say something about it they will be a little more careful uh, about how they go about mistreating you but um currently with my situation um, i'm like i said i'm looking for another job but currently right now um my boss um is uh white but he keeps saying i'm jewish i'm jewish but white um, he is going to be the client manager. He's actually moving up a role. And from what I've been told, they wanted me to take his position. Um, he currently is lead, uh, client services, um, position. So they want me to take it obviously because his manager is going to a whole different department. So it wasn't like, you know, we're promoting you because this, that, and that. It's really more so everybody just moving up. Um, I'm more than likely not going to take the position. Um, and, I, and then again, I don't even know if I'm getting it. Um, but I was made aware of that. Um, but my manager right now, um, he, I noticed, and I've been watching him, and I'm really going to stay close because what I noticed he does, um, there are times where, I'm not saying I get in arguments with him, but if we're not having, like, a understanding of a situation, like, I end up being codified at certain moments, and then he gets all, like, weird. Like, he gets, like, not scared of me, but, like, oh, shoot, she's aware. Let me not do this. And then what ends up happening is if I'm not paying attention, he'll start coming over and talking about God knows what while I'm in the middle of work. So what I'm starting going to be starting to do is, you know, David, I – appreciate you come over talking to me about God knows what, but I have work to do. Because before, I was not doing this. I was literally engaging in conversation with him. Hmm. So I see what his strategy is when he does it. It's like after, like, something where I'm codified and he notices that I'm doing my work and I correct him on something, that he did something wrong, he'll just come back and be like, try to get me in a really vulnerable position where I open up. So I'm, I think he's noticing it. <clears throat> about myself as a person 
Um, but I, I can't be falling for that again. And mm. I'm, I'm already aware of him doing that. So, yeah. Mm. I think that's a, that's a keen observation. Uh, it's, I think we've had a lot of folks who testified. Uh, the caller at 3246, I don't think we've heard from you. If you had commentary on workplace racism, uh, coming to you next. Uh, just, I did, I do think that's a keen observation, uh, Chantel from this guy, uh, race soldier, David, uh, if he's, when you correct him, we've had a lot of listeners where they've talked about if it's a white person in a job situation or elsewhere, uh, if they correct a white person or, you know, a bit of information that they don't know and them getting, uh, embarrassed about that or feeling like they got to save face. Cause this nigger knew something that I didn't know or corrected me. Uh, on something publicly, uh, if out, if if not them becoming out and out terroristic in response to that sort of thing, and that to me it sounds like kind of a passive aggressive, uh, him just coming and occupying your time, uh, assaulting you uh, in an auditory manner, just talking and talking and talking about nothing. And I think that's a great strategy to just, you know, hey Dave, that's great. I mean, you can do it, you know, pleasantly uh, with great courtesy. Hey, you know, love to hear about that. Really got to focus in on this right now. You know, maybe we can check in about that a little bit later. And you know, who can argue with that? Trying to be on task, be a yeah. great employee so we can take care of the bottom line. Uh, the caller at 3246, did you have a uh, commentary? 3246? Yes, sir. Can I be hurt? Yes, sir. Yes. Uh, uh, greetings to you, the host and uh, callers and the listeners. Um, I wanted to uh, talk about my experience in uh, real estate when I had, I had, um, I got my broker's license or not my, I got my real estate license back in 2007, um, right when the, market was crashing and it was really interesting um all these years being in real estate try you know and just realizing um how racist the industry is and perhaps this is the most racist industry there is um it's uh i believe it's the most law regulated industry um and it's just really interesting like when i got into uh when i got into the classes and they were telling me all the different forms of land ownership or just ownership of, of property or, or of real estate. They say that they can own the land, they can own the air, they can own the water, they can own the minerals under the land, and they own the land from the, from the surface of the land all the way to the center and then all the way to, the, to infinity, up, up into infinity. And it's not just that they can own it, but they actually do own it. And, and so the concept of, that they have of land ownership that they're, they're going on, it means that they, I mean, they own absolutely everything in existence. It's really, really interesting. And by that day, I'm, um, of course, I'm meaning uh, people who classify as white. And, um, and also, when I say it's, it's, a, it's a very racist industry, aside from the laws, like the, the realtors that um, I've been involved with, even uh, my uh, authority in some uh, instances, like one, one of uh, the authorities wasn't necessarily my, my broker, but it was the managing broker told me that, uh, I mean, oftentimes he would talk to me about niggers straight up using that word. And um, he would, uh, and really, you know, I, I would, I would sit and, and listen to him because I wanted to hear what, 
I wanted to understand real estate, you know, but I still had to hear all these other stories. And, uh, and he was very clear about, I, I was very clear about, you know, uh, people who classify as buying as white being my enemy. And he was very clear that, or he would say that he wasn't white, but he, he clearly, you know, it, it was just kind of a game. He clearly was a, a person who would classify as white. And at one point, um, like uh, towards the, the, or actually at the end of our um, engagement with each other, he had said, uh, uh, he told me he could have that nigger killed by the morning um, about uh, an individual uh, who he had an uh, intimate relationship with. And um, that was just, I mean, it's just, it's really frightening, especially understanding that, you know, all the people who classify as white, they stick with each other. You know, they, they stick really strong with each other. And then the, the landowners stick really, um, they have a, little, a real tight niche, uh, niche group. And, um, and they're really tight with the police officers. Even the police officers supposedly are supposed to be protecting the, the landowners or the, the property, you know, aside from patrolling the slaves or the black folks. Um, and it's, it's just really interesting once you see the dynamics. Um, it's frightening, actually, more than interesting. Um, and when you, like, I, I remember uh, uh, hearing uh, Mr. Gus talk about the deeds and how they, uh, they used to and even still have it on the book that, um, you know, you can't pass this land down to a black person. And, you know, when they started showing me those deeds, because they, they still exist and they're still written in the deeds, even the ones that, like the old deeds, it, all that stuff has to stay on the record. And like they would just make a, I guess, an amendment or some, something, but you can't change the deeds. Um, but anyway, uh, that's, that's one thing. The other thing I just I wanted to mention was um, uh, going to Dr. Francis Wilson. I heard her uh, say in one of her interviews, um, and I'm paraphrasing. She said that we don't necessarily need to uh, get some black land somewhere. What we need to do is control the land that we're standing on. And that's what I would uh, say to people, um, black people, is that we need to control the, the land that we're standing on. And um, it's a, it's, I don't know exactly. I mean, I'm not sure how to say exactly how to do it. But I would uh, just say that the only way that you can own land is if you if you occupy it. So you actually have to occupy the space and you have to be able to defend it. Um, and if you can't occupy it and you can't defend it, um, then you don't own it. And uh, um, but another thing is trying to. I think that people should purchase land, even in the system. More than just trying to um, own the, I mean, control the land that you're standing on, you should also try to purchase land because I, I have seen the the benefits. There's, it's way more beneficial to um, quote unquote own land in this in this particular white supremacy system because then you can um, do commerce, and you you can't do commerce if you don't own uh, the land. You um, you just you simply can't do it. You can't run a business out of your apartment. Um, uh, for zoning reasons, um, uh, and also, um, but the problem with that is that, like, that, oh, uh, I, I may be taking too long. Um, 
uh, well, the last thing I, I just wanted to say was that um, that we have to be careful of where we um, purchase land because all the land um, is, is set up to where it's militarized. Like it, they already have it set up to do military action. A lot of times they put the black people in the valleys. They put the white people in the um, uh, highlands. And that's all I wanted to say. Thank you. Wow. Appreciate that. I think uh, there are probably a lot of folks who can uh, attest to that, having to <clears throat> endure uh, some sort of exchange or learning from a racist and them being practicing racism as they are teaching you uh, some information that you need. Uh, I think there are quite a few of us that can relate to that. I did want to make sure I, I had uh, one other incident, workplace racism that someone wrote in that I wanted to share. And then we have time if folks, if they if you, have questions right for anyone who shared uh, if you have your own incident i think uh, 1842 said she had her own workplace situation so we'll get to that as well but uh, one more person wrote in uh, they said i have a story to tell and perhaps some callers can assist me in how to maneuver this i work for an insurance company it's pretty hectic and that many people just want their settlement checks so they can get their car fixed there's a white male uh there's a, a white male and as and we as a few non-white employees work work with that has the authority of signing off on a claim and settling it. The goal is to settle the claim quick as possible once all the paperwork comes in. Customers, customers consistently call in asking for claim status or what they would have to do to get their claims processed. We tell them the procedures and what to send in to help them win their settlement. They send in all the paperwork and it goes to the adjuster, which is the white male, of course. He will note the system that he received all the paperwork. The customer would call back asking where their payment is. We would just advise them that the claim is processing. Just give it a couple of days. A few days pass and nothing happens. The same customers would then call back weekly looking for their payment and nothing. No update, no check. When this happens, we have to alert the adjuster to go ahead and settle the claim. I would send an email multiple over a couple of weeks to the white male telling him to settle the claim. The customer has been waiting weeks. A few days pass and nothing happens. Once again, weeks go by and no settlement. Customer is still consistently calling in angry looking for their check. There is another white male we work with that works in our division as well. When this white male tells the white male adjuster to settle a claim, he does it. Surprise. When this, uh, whenever we non-white employees tell him nothing happens. If we notice that a claim that is clearly set to settle isn't being settled after alerting the adjuster, then we notify the supervisor. So I notified the supervisor so they can take care of the issue. The next day, the white male adjuster is throwing me under the bus the whole day. He starts telling the supervisor that I lost all his files, all the paperwork. He can't find anything to do his job, etc., which is all lies. This doesn't work since the supervisor knows I complete and hand in my work. After lunch, I come back to see to see a note from the supervisor. 
So I go to the supervisor and see that I'm being written up for something I had no control over. A claim that should have been settled damn near three months ago was blamed on me for not being settled. Mind you, the adjuster has looked at the file multiple times after the last time I touched the file. I got written up for not alerting the adjuster to settle the claim. This has been happening multiple times since I started working. This white male adjuster always goes looking for revenge or a way to get us in trouble for bringing to light he never does his work. He consistently is trying to find a way to get someone in trouble or fired for simply trying to do their job. He never does this to the other white male that works with us. I have been here for a year and go through this issue monthly with the same adjuster. I'm not sure what I can do at this point. I don't expect to work there for much longer since I'm close to completing my school, my schooling. There's really no one for me to go to about this situation because early on, when I did, he would try and find some way to get me reprimanded or written up. Any suggestions? So that's what they wrote in. Uh, this is one of those situations where I think Mr. Williams, where he has recommended, because it sounds like from what he explained, you have this white guy who's in charge of, I guess, doing whatever needs to be done for a check to be issued uh, from this insurance company. Uh, and so if he doesn't do his job or he lollygags, then the checks do not get issued. And so people call in and, and get riled up and everything. Uh, this seems like one of those situations where if you are noting, right, where you should be able to collect data, like there should be lots of digital footprints about where the stall happened in this process. If it's one of those things where person A has to do, you know, this, this and this and then pass the form off to the next person. You should be able to see the digital footprint on where this stalled. If this document, you know, person A did everything that they were supposed to do, if that's the black person in this situation, did everything they're supposed to do, and then it goes to this white guy, and he's supposed to do his job, and then it's been there, and it doesn't take, or it takes a week, or however long it takes him to get this done, there should be lots of data. So this is one of those where documenting, and if you are, if you're saying like people are calling, where's my check? And they're seeing the status online pending or processing or whatever it is. Uh, there should be a way to have data showing I did everything that I was supposed to do in this process. This person, the white guy, is taking an inordinate amount of time in getting his end of the assignment complete in evidencing that this is what I would just I mean, if they're insurance people, everything is supposed to be by the books. A lot of this stuff should be. On the computer, uh, it should be very apparent who is failing to do what needs to be done. Uh, and if you're being accused, this is one of those I would ask for an investigation. I think I played the audio where uh, Mr. Fuller was talking about that. Let's see what the problem is. Let's go through. It might be that I'm doing something incorrect. That would be great. And particularly if there's any sort of allegation that there I'm being accused of doing something repeatedly to slow the process. Either we have a training problem. Do we have sabotage? Let's investigate and find out what is causing the problem. Let's investigate the whole thing and pick out what it is so that we can correct this problem permanently. We shouldn't have an issue coming up repeatedly with allegations being thrown around and delays in the process. Let's go ahead and get this done efficiently so we can solve this problem. That's that's what I would request. And I'm sure these whites probably know 
he's lying. That's one of the other things with this as well. Again, you're consistently going to be in position uh, of whites being the ones who make the decision. But I would ask for an investigation. I would try and have as much information that you've accumulated on your own from your own records, emails that you've sent that are date stamp, time stamp, have as much of that information uh of your personal that you can connect, uh, that you personally can connect, have that so that you can add that to the investigation for whatever conclusion, uh, that they come up with. And I would try to have as much, um, data just to show if this white guy is not doing, but I would, I'm sure they know that. I mean, if the, I don't know how long this guy's been there. I think the person that wrote this said that they worked there for over a year. It's been my experience. These whites that are on the job that are incompetent or lazy or just shiftless and they don't do, they don't do their job. It's been my experience that whites are not ignorant about this either. They know these folks are just hanging out and doing nothing, drinking coffee all day long or playing, you know, spades or playing on their computer or doing whatever it is they're doing all day long. They know this. <laughs> so I'm sure that they're not they're not clueless. They know that they're just finding some nigger to blame it on uh, in the office office. I would just be as anal as possible, obsessive uh, about data documenting what I'm doing, that I'm doing everything that I'm you know, supposed to do, as they say, cross all your T's, dot all your I's, uh, and then getting that digital footprint together to evidence that, you know, this is the one just to make the evidence so that it's not you. The evidence is showing where the problem is. It's this guy. And then what should be done to solve this? Uh, for other folks, uh, if you have suggestions uh, for this person, anybody, any suggestions uh, for this person who wrote in? Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Uh, Thus, I think you gave her impeccable advice. Um, I was in a situation, I talked about this um, before a long time ago, where I didn't get adequate training, and it was a long time where things were getting botched up, and I was asking for training repeatedly, and I kept an email list that was phenomenal, going to the owner, the three females that were supposed to train me, and my supervisor, and when they did go to fire me, I had a stack that was so thick it was ridiculous and I looked like Matlock because I just went right into lawyer mode and called each one of them out in the meeting. They could not fire me. And within about three months, they downsized me out of the company with a full package. So definitely, um, you, I think you gave her the best advice. Document everything. And um, I think going through the whole process is a perfect thing. Let's investigate. Because something like that, you're absolutely right, it does sound like something that has a chronological order and there's a time frame to people processing things to get stuff done in a timely manner. And when the, when the ball is dropped somewhere, it's very easy to spot where it drops. So, so she should not be getting reprimanded. She should be able to really disprove whatever they're trying to say she's involved in. And I agree with you. They always know what each other are doing because white people function as a super organism. They all function together the same way and they all do the same things to buffer and protect themselves. And once you understand that and you have a logical way of exposing them, I think that is the most logical thing. So I think you gave her phenomenal advice. Thank you. Uh, other folks have any, any suggestions, recommendations uh, for the person that wrote in uh, white insurance guys loafing on the job, uh, typical uh, white behavior, not doing his job, and she's being uh, blamed for written up, not just blamed for it, tech, uh, formally written up. Any any other suggestions, folks? Had Mabby heard. Yes, ma'am. 
Yes. Uh, my suggestion would be to um, CC um, every supervisor possible, even the ones who are not in your um, immediate, who are not your media supervisors, every time you contact this white male. Every time you contact him, you always CC him and you always, in the email, um, try to um, be specific as possible about the person who has um, who has filed the claim or about the client that has the issue, what time the person called, and kind of surmise what, what that um, individual has said in, in your email um, to him. And, and like I said, CC um, all supervisors involved, even the supervisors that aren't involved, because they all talk anyway. So just let them all have it. One other thing, just uh, it was a lot of detail in the email, so I'm having to go back over in my mind. That portion about where this person, and I think this is a, a non-white female, sorry, so this is female, when she says that she had contacted this white dude to do his job to get these checks issued, and he wouldn't do it, but then the white guy would come in and check this white guy or, you know, ask what's up or whatever prompt about it. And it would get done. If there is a record of that, if you have either documentation of that, or at minimum, if you have a record of, I contacted him about claim number, you know, Z Z Y F I contacted him on November, you know, 17th, uh, November 22nd, nothing. This claim didn't get done until December 5th. Now, why did it take that long if I had prompted twice? And then if there's record of him having to come in, why is he having to be prompted? Why are we having to prompt three times about one claim? And then do I have documentation that this has happened more than once where I prompt him? Uh, what's up with such and such? What's up with this claim? And nothing happens. And then you have to come in and do it. I would pile those up. If that had happened 60 times, they would have 60 pieces of paper on their desk for every single time that this has happened. What is the problem? Why are we having to continue and get multiple people to come in and write about, you know, each and every one of these claims? What's happening with this process? And I think just that sort of thing, it will back them up off of you. That's the way I would handle it really make an effort to make sure that you can you can evidence that this white person you don't have to say that the white person is having to come in and do it but that multiple people are having to inquire to get these checks issued and thus i think she said if i remember correctly that there was evidence that he had touched the case twice that she ended up getting reprimanded or written up for that there was like electronic evidence that he had at least looked at the case two times and still still did not um complete it so if that is something she can print and document, she can successfully defend herself to get whatever that was out of her record. And I hope she didn't assign whatever it was that they put in front of her to try and um, write her up. I wouldn't assign anything. And I would have actually written a, a rebuttal and complete refute of that. And if you can get the digital evidence that shows that he touched that case twice and did nothing, right there's your evidence. Who didn't do their job? I think it's, it's phenomenal. I, it's, that's there. She should access that immediately and print it and keep a, a paper copy as she takes it home and then make a copy if she has to use it to defend herself in, uh, in the office. Absolutely. Great suggestion about not signing that write-up as well. I think uh, Thomas in New York probably would 
give a whole seminar on that since we've had to go over that a few times. But absolutely, this sounds like one I would absolutely not sign. And the rebuttal letter as well. We talked about that. This would be another great uh, time where you can employ that as well, because the evidence just does not. And that's the language I would consistently use. Does the evidence show that I failed in my duties to the company? In whatever problem, if it's the check or whatever, however they're presenting this, that's the language that I would consistently employ. Is that what the evidence shows? Did other folks have any suggestions to this specifically before we move forward? Any other suggestions? Look, can I be heard? Yes, sir. I was just going to say right along the lines um, of evidence, uh, I would say that. Um, try to make it so that, um, like Fuller says, everybody stand by their work. Like, man, that kind of a situation, it seems like you almost got to expose the white person for not doing their job. But it's like, okay, well, if they only uh, just appealing to another white person and or the white person is the authority, it's not like they're going to care anyway. So, for the black person in that situation, it's just you have to show that you are doing your work and <clears throat> like you won't um, be left, quote unquote, holding the ball and uh, cover your own behind. And uh, that's all I have. Hello, may I be heard? Yes, sir. Yes, I, listening to the conversation regarding this uh, non white person is being terrorized on the job. To me, it just highlights the thought of why the system has to be replaced as soon as possible. Because why should we have to be jumping through hoops and playing these or basically being victimized by these white terrorists on our jobs for just trying to provide for our families on a day-to-day -day uh -huh. basis? And, and, and to... It just highlights like why do the suffering that is going on globally and whenever we feel comfortable, quote unquote, whatever that's supposed to mean in our situations, we don't understand the level of terrorism that is being carried out on a daily basis by the hundreds and millions of people on this planet. And and it's a constant reminder to hear that this this not this non white person has to suffer. And, and this is the point they have to turn to. And unfortunately, this is one of the very few places they can receive help. So I just want to make that make that thought out there to everybody who feels that, you know, these careers are going to lead anywhere successful. As long as the system exists, we're going to be in this pitiful condition. Thank you. Appreciate that. Uh, any other uh, suggestions uh, for the listener who wrote in or? Folks satisfied on that one? Can I be heard? Yes, ma'am. Um, my suggestion would be to not forget what Gus said, that the whites are not aware of what this white male is either doing or not doing. Sometimes it's easy for us to think, well, wouldn't they reprimand him if they knew he wasn't you know, that he was slacking or he was being lazy or he was messing up. But sometimes it's been my observation and my, and my experience that they're perfectly fine with him doing whatever it is that he's doing or not doing, and they'll check him whenever they feel like it. And if, like, if you focus your attention on what he's doing or not doing, like when you're speaking to people about this, 
then somehow it gets flipped back on you just have some personal problem with this person and uh-huh. not hello we had a, a man corner that's all oh <laughs> i was like am i being tapped um anyways um yes that um so like just don't make it personal Try not to make it personal or make it seem like it's personal and that you have something against this person in particular. Um, Just because even though you are correct um, and wanting him to do his job, it somehow could get and would probably get flipped on you and you would still end up losing out. But my observation and experience has been that whites are very much aware of each other and what each other is doing or not doing, and they collude together to protect each other um, for whatever it is that they need protection for. Like someone might need protection over secrets. Another one might need protection because they're lazy. Another one might need protection because they really don't know how to do their job. And they all have something on each other, but they protect each other. I hope I'm making sense. So uh, my advice would be like, do not forget that, like however you proceed, thinking that just because you're right, people are going to support you or uh, see that you're right and not flip it on you like you just got a personal vendetta against this person. Definitely. Keeping the emotions managed is uh, real important for that as well. So they can't, you know, try to hit you with that. You're just, you got some sort of personal gripe with this uh, coworker and you all need to work it out so that it's, that's not what this is at all. We just want to solve the problem and, you know, what, let's see what the, uh, let's see what the evidence reveals and how we can go about solving this problem. Uh, just give it that approach, stick by the documentation and the evidence. Uh, and I think that will, that will help a long way in, in trying to resolve this issue. Give us the update too. If you, uh, could, if you have the time to maybe give us a few lines or if you want to dial in directly to give us, uh, the update, uh, with how you, how you proceed with all this. Uh, the caller at two two five zero two two five zero. Did you have commentary you wanted to share? Uh, yes. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. All right, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> I don't have anything to share on the previous topic that everyone was just discussing, but I I can't always listen to the live broadcast. But recently, I was listening to the archives, and uh, Gus, if I could be wrong, I could be mistaken, but you said something to the effect of. Um, for most non-white people, by the time they reach 30, I'm not sure if that's exactly what you said, but they should have a pop, most, most likely have experienced some form of um, over-racism <clears throat> where you kind of can't deny it. Uh, long story short, I was listening to that um, Workplace Racism ep- episode where you stated that. Uh, was, was that accurate? There's a little bit of static uh on your line, I can hear you clearly at first, and then it got a little staticky. Um, okay. It being, can I be uh, heard now? yes, sir. It sounds better now. It sounds better. Um, okay. I think if it's the one that I think you were referencing, where I was talking about, oh, well, now it's staticky again. <laughs> oh. uh, I'm just muting it just so I can respond, and then I'm gonna unmute you. But it, it just got really, really staticky again, really, really bad. Um, I think if it's if I'm remembering the the program that you're referencing, I think I had said something to the effect of I think um, in terms of workplace racism, because I think that was the specific one of the programs that you were talking about, our workplace racism segments, where I said something to the effect of I think if you are a non-white person, uh, if you are 
30, younger, somewhere in that age range, uh, I think you have experienced some form of racist mistreatment in the workplace specifically. I think that was what I was uh, talking about that. I think with workplace racism, I think most of uh, I just, I think it would be very, very hard to find a black person, uh, particularly if they're 30, uh, maybe even 25, if they've had some time in the workplace, I think it would be very, very difficult to find a black person who, uh, has not been mistreated in any way, shape or form where they have not had a problem with racism on the job at all. I think it would be hard uh, to do so. I think that's, uh, I think that's pretty close to what I said. All right. I'm going to, unmute your line and hopefully it will not be uh, too much distortion. Let's see. Okay. Can I be heard now? Good so far. Okay. Well, I I disconnected my, um, my headset. So hopefully that fixes the problem, but long story short. Yeah. I'm, um, everything you just explained, uh, pretty much was sight on what I was saying, but long story short, I just had a, uh, workplace racism incident. I thought about that once I heard you say that. And I was like, even before, I'm still very confused, but even before I uh, got wind of the program and uh, Mr. Fuller's work and uh, Dr. Wilson's work, I always kind of, I'm not an introvert, but I kind of know that at the workplace, uh, I think it's just best, less is more. That's kind of been my motto and it's kind of served me correctly. But long story short, um, I work, I've worked for the Department of Defense for about uh, almost 10 years now. Um, at this current location where I'm at, it's pretty much predominantly white as it always usually is in my um, line of work. Um, so I have a, a gentleman who, uh, a white guy who works with me. He's one of the higher ranking uh, civilians that I work with. And so um, our offices kind of overlap. We're in the same company, but our offices kind of overlap. So meaning that my job that I do and the job that he do, we don't work in the same uh, work center, but he may need something from me. I may need something and vice versa. So we kind of have to work together. So one day uh, I walk into um the shop where he works and <clears throat> I'm in there dropping off some paperwork. I wasn't there to see him. Just another coworker is about six uh, white males in this location. I'm the only black male. So I drop off this paperwork. This guy, uh, <clears throat> he's already inside. Um, so as soon as I walk in, he just out of nowhere for no reason, stays out of his mouth. Oh, get the noose. And for some, luckily I haven't always been able to call in, but I've, this was after the time that I kind of, been listening to you all and it's helped me. This is just a story to show how it's helped me um, being codified. Um, but as he said this, <laughs> the first thing that came to my mind, I just looked at him and I was like, uh, uh, the guy's name is Mr. Noor. I just looked at him and I said, wow, that sounds like something a white supremacist would say. Is that professional? And he just looked at me like, no, I apologize. I don't mean it like that. But he's in there with five other white males. And they all, when somebody goes so, so far that it's so blatantly racist, you would notice that most people have common sense now, or at least they're not going to be as overtly racist where they're not going to, nobody could say anything. It was, it was that terrible, but long story short, um, this happened quite a while ago, maybe at least over a year ago. Um, and I'm still at the same location. This guy now, we still have to work together, but he's completely changed his tone. We were never friends or we were never like extremely cordial, but now when I work with him, he's, you know, extremely professional. He hasn't crossed the line, anything close to that. And uh, he kind of goes out of his way to, quote, unquote, try to get on my good side. And um, I'm not sure if anybody has a story that can kind of relate to that. As once somebody wants to suspect the racist sees that you, you're not going to kind of do typical things that somebody that's a lot more confused, even though I'm still confused, would do. They kind of switch the tone up. And he switched the tone up completely 180. Uh, so credit to the show. And um, hopefully new listeners like I was uh, can take that and uh, run with it. Has been beneficial. Thank you. I'll mute my line. 
Question. I say that consistently on the program. If you can stay in the question lane, that will serve you well on the job. That will be the best tool that you have in many situations. Just thinking of the best question to ask and <laughs> that that is a great question uh, or in that state that's one of the few times where you could just make a statement where he says whatever he says and that sounds like something a white supremacist would say where he's talking about a noose or whatever uh that that sounds like what a white supremacist would say <laughs> you could just leave it at that and boop, that's one of the few times where a statement will suffice and you should be all right because you didn't call him a racist you didn't call him a white supremacist well they'll try and go that angle uh well you didn't do any of that just that sounds like something a white supremacist would say and then you can just go back to work but that outstanding and i'm not surprised at all that that totally shifted i think i've i've heard that before from people who have taken uh used that technique uh not calling the person a racist but that sounds like something a racist would say just say that and nothing else and then they immediately get the backpedaling and, oh, I'm sorry. And I marched with Dr. King and Black Lives Matter. And I donated to Trayvon Martin and right on for Renisha McBride. And let's go out to lunch and let me buy. I mean, everything will change. Uh, I have seen that happen before and profuse apologies. And you will not have to worry about them saying that sort of thing uh, again. But that's fantastic. And I would still document you. That's if you want multiple strategies for people that don't feel comfortable saying that. You could just document, just ask, what did you say? Question. What did you say? Calmly, courteously. Didn't hear you. What, what did you say, Bob? Oh, okay. News. Mm-hmm. What do you need a news for? Oh, okay. And you can write that down. Okay. And then we continue with our day. I've seen where that can be effective as well. Black person taking notes like, whoa, got to be careful around that nigger. Hmm. Uh, I know 1842, you said you had uh, commentary you wanted to share. Did you want to share now? Yes, I would. Thank you very much. Um, I've been noticing an increase of the nooses. Um, yeah, but okay. So this is 1842. I'm the one in D.C. property. Well, work in D.C., live in Virginia. And um, I had a couple of mini breakthroughs. This week was very trying for me at my job, extremely trying for me at my job. And I will give you the skinny as quickly as I can. Um, I wrote like this lengthy email, but I'll try to concise it. Pretty much I'm contracted. It Contracts have very specific, like my duties are outlined in this contract. I am not required, nor should, should I do anything that falls outside of that contract. I was very eager when I first started, so I did a whole lot trying to get brought onto the team, the actual company, and not remain contracted. They've been taking advantage. I've been listening to the cows. I'm done. I'm moving on. So all of that is done. I don't feel the need to, and they keep dangling, bringing, being brought on with the company as like some carrot or something. And I'm supposed to just keep hoping and the conversations are not transparent. So I ended that whatever I'm doing within my contract, nothing more, nothing less. They approached me to do something outside of my contract. I said, we should just get someone to pay for that. That's what should happen. They got all Um, By that, I mean property management, Uh, tight-jawed, clenching, glitching in the face, turned red. Like, I can't believe she just said that we should pay someone. Anyway, I went the, you know, I went the proper way, contacted my head company about it. Um, Long story, (laughs) they're going to have to pay. That's the right way to do it. 
I'm not going to have to be inconvenienced doing something um, for free because I'm not doing that and it's not my job. Um, I want to thank everyone. I don't know everyone's name, but I know Mr. Firefighter down in Florida. Um, I believe Roz, I think you're in New York. Um, both of you and, and everybody else who I may not like know your name. Thank you very much. Cause I've been sharing for like the past two to three weeks about being touched or like just sexually harassed at my job, um, various jobs. Last week I shared like a traumatic experience I had years ago, but somehow it resolved in me, made me feel like I just had enough. And, um, so, uh, I went to deliver something to one of the companies in the building. This white man and a non-white female were talking at the front desk, so they didn't see me. I don't like pressing the doorbell because I think it's rude if someone's right there. So I was waiting for them to finish. The white man sees me. He's like, oh, oh, my God, we didn't even see you. So he opens the door, and he ropes and massages my right shoulder. It was so uncomfortable. Like, I was in shock, but not enough to, like, if y'all can understand what I'm about to try to say, like I dipped from underneath his grip, like like the right side of my body, like went all the way down as I slid from, you know, him massaging my shoulder, handed um, the female the stuff that I came to deliver and was like, yeah, you know, thanks. And then she was like, can I get you anything to drink? I was like, no, I'm good. And then she's like, are you sure not coffee? I was like, no, I'm good. And then he's like, oh, ours is good. And I was just looked at him like, nah. And then he stuck his hand out. Now, I am disappointed in myself for this part because I did not want to shake his hand, but I still shook his hand, even after the whole right shoulder groping massage thing. But anyway, I was already livid that day. Like, I had a rough day. And so by the time, like, I obsessed about it for, like, 30, 45 minutes, and I was like, no, I just can't. Like, this is not how it's about to go down. And so I um, drafted an email because I heard everyone's voice in my head, like, you need to handle that right now. Do not let that go. And see, here's the thing. This is not someone who's done it before. I literally, like, the whole building is filled with these white males like this. You know what I mean? Like, everywhere I turn, anybody's um, office I go into or suite that I, it, like, they're just there. And even when I'm in the front, they're they're just all over the place. Um, so, anyway, this is not something, like... I should expect it, but it's not even like, it, you know, it just, it caught me off guard. So anyway, I was emotional about it. And so I drafted an email, had my friend read it and was like, so what you think? And then she was like, well, I don't know. She just, she was not supportive. And I was like, you know what? Bump it. We are two different people in a journey, you know, whatever. You don't even listen to the cow. So why am I asking you? <laughs> so I hit sin. I was shaking. I was nervous anyway. Um, Cause you know, but I was like, can't nobody, approach me um and tell me I'm incorrect because I told somebody not to touch me like no matter how whatever you know I'm not wrong because somebody touched me and I'm telling them not to touch me so I had to go through this whole process like inside of myself um but I did I hit send on that email and it read hello Mr. such and such as much as I appreciate the warm welcome I'd also appreciate that you do not touch me again Thank you very much, and have a great day. And um, that was that. And then he responded, like, in the middle of the night, last night. Um, but I didn't read it until this morning. And this was his response. Miss 1842, please accept my sincerest apology. No disrespect intended. I raised my two daughters myself and would never want one of them to feel uncomfortable. 
Sorry that my actions made you feel uncomfortable. I will not engage in that type of interaction with you ever again. Thank you and have a good evening. Very respectfully, in his signature. Two things. Number one, I had to repeat this over and over and over again because I told this story so many times. Like I had to keep telling myself the story so I didn't feel bad about my actions. Number one, there's no man in any work environment that does not know you don't touch anyone, specifically, especially women. You don't do it. You just don't do it. I asked many, many men this, and it's like that's like standard training number one. I know. I sit in them myself. You don't touch. No touching. So I don't care, you know, whatever about the apology. I don't care. Number two, pervert, to mention that you have these daughters that you don't, you know, you don't want anyone to make them feel uncomfortable. I Don't you, like, you, there's so much to that. Um, but no. Number, oh, the second, the real second point, I'm sorry, was my friend pointed out that in his response, he did admit guilt. The way he worded it means that he knows he touched me and it was inappropriate. Despite however he meant to make me feel or not, he did admit that. And I was like, well, thank you very much. That was very constructive to know that with, you know, documentation in writing, because if I would have went and talked, who knows how it would have happened. I don't want to talk. There's nothing to talk about. I know you get my emails because I didn't put a subject line that said, don't touch me. I made it, you know, benign. So of course he's going to open it because I send out all the correspondence in the building. So yeah, he opened it and saw my message. So in some ways I was a little disappointed because I still shook his hand. Um, I didn't respond right away. Um, It took me like 45 minutes to an hour of grappling with myself on how to handle it Um, and, you know, whatever. But I still sent it and I felt so much better, so much better. So now I'm actually ready. Let somebody, you know, I'm ready to practice my new codification and I can't wait because I'm sure it'll happen again. Um, But this time, not only am I ready, but it's like I kind of got over the hump, if that makes sense. So another way it happened. I was at my desk, and I've explained to you that the property manager likes to come and, like, stand really close in his junk site, really, really close to me. He did it, and I did the same thing. I pushed, and this time, far more aggressively than the first time. He backed up all the way to the corner, and I knew, you know exactly what you're doing. You know what I mean? Um, But then this very same person asked me to do something, and he was like, well, can you have it to me today? I mean, he had just given it, like, it doesn't matter. Asked me if I could do something. And I just said no. Now, that might not seem like a whole lot to a whole bunch of other folks. But for me, yes, it is a big deal because I'm not usually, I don't just come out flat and just say no. And he looked at me and he was like, no. And I was like, no. I don't want to tell you that I can have something to you by a certain time and I cannot. Then you look at me as though I, you know, failed you somehow. So, no. And he turned red and he was like, well, then I'll just have to stay later. And I was like, oh, in my head, I was like, sucks for you. I don't care what you do. You know what I mean? But I actually said no today too. So um, yeah, let somebody else try me. This week has been very trying, but I have been, um, I'd say doing the best that I can uh, with practicing codification, setting boundaries, and um, taking the heeding and taking and cherishing the advice that I have been receiving from you all. So thank you. I'm sure there's more and I'm missing it, but those are the big hitters. So thanks. Awesome. We do end the program saying, uh, you know, not only be patient with other black people, but let us try as much as we can to be patient with ourselves. Um, We're all still victims and trying to do our best. I think uh, particularly for workplace situations, I think we should uh, try to 
not to be too hard on ourselves. Uh, we are we are victims of racism, and uh, if anything, I just I think I know I know I can speak for Gus T first and foremost, but I suspect it's the case for a lot of folks. It's a lot of anxiety um, when you you know having to exercise black self-respect in the workplace for many people can be very challenging uh, for a variety of reasons. Like you were saying, like them uh, kind of putting it out that, Hey, you know, we could bring you on our team. You don't just have to have you as being some contracted for like kind of hanging that out there and that sort of thing. Like they just have a variety of ways of manipulating us. Uh, and when someone has more power than you, uh, they can wield that uh, in just uh, a litany of ways, which they do to us. Uh, and it ju- really just becomes a form of psychological torture. Um, but they do that sort of thing. And so that can really compromise uh, us being able to function uh, optimally as counter-racists. So I think just as much self-respect, black self-respect, uh, and as much patience. And uh, I think this is a winner. Uh, you were able to get the, the email, uh, an admission of guilt. Uh, in a way. And uh, as you stated, you will for sure get other opportunities to practice your counter-racism jujitsu. So uh, be prepared. <laughs> son is uh, son is quickly getting ready for Friday. So, hey, you will you will get other opportunities to get the A plus counter-racism response. Believe me. Uh, the caller. I'm just making sure I didn't miss anyone. And then if folks want to respond or get anything is I do think that's really important though because they do catch us off guard a lot and just being prepared I've said that before like maybe practice maybe that's one to practice as well for everybody Uh, if you are touched uh, if someone is hugging you or I don't even know what that is some kind of Vulcan shoulder clutch or whatever that this guy was doing and other than just kind of practice that and this is what I'm going to do I'm going to have an evasive physical move to make it immediately clear like whoa a boundary has been crossed and then this is exactly what I'm going to say so you can practice it if you have you know non-white people that you know you're around and they will indulge you for 15 minutes or so just practice a few times just tell them you know this is I, I, I'm going to prepare for all of them. So, you know, come up and try to give me a hug or come try to, you know, touch me or whatever the case. So I can just practice. Give it, you know, 15 minutes. You can break it out maybe once or twice a month. You should be good to go. You'll be ready. And uh, I think it'll help you uh, be able to respond live in the moment and you'll have it down. You'll be a lot less nervous. Lots of black self-respect. Uh, the person, uh, people that we have not heard from at all. I think our caller in Florida and the caller at nine, three, one, five. Did either of you have commentary? Yeah, but I'm not in a... Uh, can I wait, like, two two minutes? I reckon. All right, thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, caller in Florida, did you want to go now? Oh, yes, sir. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Oh, uh, yes, thank you very much. Uh, greetings to Gus, the host, the listeners and callers. I have a few observations from the uh, past couple of days. Uh, there was a, a incident where this uh, white female, she was just playing on her phone and she was talking to uh, the, the white man, the older white man in the uh, break room. And then all of a sudden, I guess it was like on like an Instagram post. And she just, she turns back and says, does this, does this child look mixed to you? So I was like, like, what do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean by that? Like, does the child look white or mixed or whatever? And I said, well, you know, uh, is what is the parents? You know, what what are the classifications of the parent? And she says, well, oh, uh, one one of them is black. 
so she had to throw that one out there first. So uh, she uh, said that you no, know, but he has he has white people hair. That's the term she used. So uh, you know, I don't know why she would bring that up. So yeah, she had to ask me that, and it was a another incident where we were in the uh, department and like you know how sometimes some people can uh, come to work with uh, mismatching shoes on, a brown and a black one. So this black female had a uh, a particular hairdo that was made up, and it was a two different colors. So the uh, our supervisor came out, and she was asking her, can she, I guess, run up to the store to buy a new set of shoes to wear to work? And she was like, well, yeah, but, you know, it looks like, uh, when when she told her that she had a mismatching shoe, and she says, "Oh well, it just matches. It matches with your hair. You know what do you know? You know, I had to throw a, a joke crack in there or whatever. Practice racism. Um, uh, another one was I was uh, I was in the elevator talking to this uh, this this sheriff. I was like, well, you know, what time you get out of the day? And he says, well, I'll leave at four thirty. And then he says, you know, I have to go pick up my demon spawn. That's what he said. He called, I guess he's talking about his uh, offspring. He called him a demon spawn and he started smiling. So, you know, we got off of the uh, elevator and that was that incident. And there, it was one last one where, uh, like I was in like the traffic department, like I used to be in this department before. So, there was a, a black male and a white female and they were like going back and forth, like kind of, I guess it was like an argument or whatever. And like one of them, I'm trying to remember how it started cause it happened like a, a good two weeks ago. And like, it was like one of them was talking to me, like asking me a question, but they was asking me a question in a way of talking to each other. Like, Hey, you know, you know what happens uh, when you watch that certain movie and someone dies at the end or something, and and then the white woman says, "Oh yeah, you know what happens. You know what happens when in that same movie that person gets to that person who dies at the end or something." And uh, the black male says, "Oh yeah," and then he he asks me, "You know what happens in the sequel of that movie?" It's like they, you know, trying to talk about some form of committing violence towards each other. And then uh, the white woman says, well, you know uh, what happens when um, when uh, you don't go and see that movie or something. And then the, <laughs> the black guy, the black guy says, yeah, you know, kind of like this girl and her husband's sex tape. So that's how he ended that. And then he said, game, set, match. So, you know, I just walked away and uh, they talk to each other like that all the time. So apparently, I guess it's uh, normal or casual over there. And uh, that's that's all my um, observations for the week. Thank you. Man, but the, the last one, was that a black guy and a white woman having that exchange? Yes. <laughs> Oof, man oh man he is uh as they say he is skating on thin ice like oh man um i i can speak from personal uh experience when i was less 
uh, informed about racism on the job and not, you know, behaving and thinking correctly that, oh, this white person is a racist. Uh, there was a racist white female and she was in the cool group, right? Like they were, uh, all of the people, we were like the youngest people in the building. So we were like the cool group and she, I had to go talk to her for something. And she was saying, uh, she was all excited. I think it was close to Christmas. <laughs> they were all excited about their stupid, uh, Christmas party. And she was talking about all the goofy stuff they had planned and blah, blah, blah. And this, that, and the other. And she was like, uh, oh yeah, I'd be doing my pole dancing routine and do, do, do. I'm going to work it out. And I was like, wow. Okay. So I leave, I come back, let's say, we'll say it's been some years, but we'll say it was a week within 10 days of pole dancing remark. So I come back uh, and I was coming to ask her something and she was like standing up in like a really, it was just a bizarre position. Like when you normally come into somebody's office to ask them a question and they're on the keyboard or doing whatever they're doing. It was just a really kind of bizarre position that she was in. I was like, wow, is that your, are you prepping for your pole dancing thing or what? What is going on? And she was like, that is so inappropriate. And I was like, I thought you just mentioned the pole dancing. They're like, I'm stunned. Like we just had that conversation. Like tender, like I do not, it was in this office and everything. Like I don't understand. And it was like, we will be down in the main hall and da 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 and da da. And I was just like, I do not, I don't even know what to say. And I just went back to my office. Like, we just, and I thought about it and it was like, from that point on, I was like, you know what? I'm totally done. That is nonsense all the way around. I did not do anything incorrect. You brought it up to begin with. And now I don't want to talk to anybody. I'm staying in my office and no, I'm not going to the Christmas party, which then they were furious about that as well. But I have seen that where it could like for maybe a day we can be cool and you know, everybody can, or I can make whatever inappropriate sexual comments that I want uh, but if you do anything even remotely close to that at the drop of a dime, like you can be indicted. This can be, you know, on your permanent record. You'll be getting a cardboard box and thrown out of here on your ear. in like the next 30 seconds, like I have lived it and I've seen it with other people like that is a dangerous game. I would not engage in that at all. You are asking for trouble. Uh, it, it, even just the wrong person hearing that can be it doesn't even have to be that the white woman herself uh, flips out, which could easily happen. I don't want to minimize that, but it could just be another white person comes in and hears that sort of yeah, talking about, oh, my God, you're talking about sex tapes with a white woman on the job. You're asking for like the O.J. Simpson treatment. That's all it takes for the wrong white person to hear that under the wrong setting. And that could be a very, very bad situation for you. Uh, the, uh, that last minute kind of took, took the whole thing that the second one, when you were talking about the guy came, the white guy came on the elevator, said he had to pick up his demon spawn. I was just reminded Dr. Maya Angelou, where she said, believe people when they tell you who they are the first time. <laughs> uh, the caller, great observations caller in Florida, uh, the caller at nine, three, one, five. Did you need additional time? No, I'm ready. I'm okay. Okay, so last week I shared that um, my trainer, one of my trainers has turned into a, uh, he went from being a male, now he's uh, want to be considered as a female. So, oh, actually, this is the first thing I want to share, though. So there was an email that was circulating the office, and it said something like, uh, basically it said, like, I, it said, um, 
something like just because you identify as a gay male um, doesn't mean you can doesn't mean you can touch me. I um, I come to work not to be bothered or not to be touched like that. So that was an email that I guess was circulating around, and a lot of people were talking about it at the uh, at the job. And I was like, man, what the heck is going on? Like, and this is funny because it's a ton of it's like so many gay people at like. All, like a ton of the, I say about like thirty percent. It seemed to me, it just seemed like thirty percent of the su- like supervisors are gay or bisexual or you know just some weird sexuality. Um, so that so that happened, and then uh, so some of the calls I was taking, um, I I think it points out that white people really love the police. So I was talking to a lady, and she was just like, oh, like oh man, like you know. I, so basically, the, the way the job is, like, they call to talk about um, their cable bill or, like, you know, if, if they have, like, a problem or whatever with their cable bill, like, I, I try to fix it or keep them or whatever. So, anyway, so I'm helping her out with her bill or whatever, and she's like, man, like, I love everybody. Like, I really love the police. And this is a lady, she was from somewhere in New York. And then, so I had another guy from uh, from New York. And he was actually from, I think, around the area where uh, Daniel Pantaleo, where he, I guess, the, like a lot of those people live at. Um, but anyway, he was talking about like, yeah, man, you're a great guy. And he was uh, saying something. He said something like, yeah, man, my son's a police officer. Like, he's great. And then he told me because um, uh, our company recently switched over to another company. So he was like, yeah, man. So um, I know the company switched. Like, did you lose your job? And I was like, no, man. He's like, man, that's really good. I mean, he didn't ask me, did I lose? But he was like, man, that's really good that you didn't lose your job because a lot of people are losing jobs or whatever. And I was like, uh, in my head, I'm like, dude, if you knew who you were talking to, you would not, I'm sure you would be angry that uh, I didn't lose my job. And then there was a, um, there was another call I took with a lady and she was like, man, I really like you. Like she was from New York also. Um, she's like, man, I really like you. Like, if you ever, if you ever want to come by, uh, you can come by and uh, we can have coffee. If you ever want to come by and have coffee with an old lady, so I just think it's funny, like the way, like white. <laughs> I think it's funny the way like white people act when they don't like how they talk to other white people. Like it's funny, like if they like if they didn't know that I was, um, you know, if they knew I was black, they'd be like, oh man. And also, I think it's crazy how they assume everybody they talk to is white. Like, they just assume, like, as long as you don't have a, like, Bangladesh accent or something, that you are white. And then also, so I had so I had an interaction with a trainer today. And I think, I don't know if I uh, messed up or not. I just thought it was kind of funny. So, um, like, I'm pretty well dressed. So, anyway, I was sitting down and I asked, I asked the trainer for a question. This, you know, the, trans, the transgender one. I asked the I asked her I guess her I don't know I guess I asked her a question and so um like whatever and so she actually gave me a compliment on what I was wearing and I was like oh I appreciate that and I was like thanks man and I was like in my head I was like oh dang and that's just something I would normally say like you know not saying like I still think he you know I still think she's a man or whatever it was just you know that's just something I would say to anybody even like if my girlfriend I might say that like you know but uh anyway i had that interaction i was like oh man i hope i hope nothing messed up but uh yeah like i hope you know he you know i hope she doesn't start treating me you know differently because i said that but that was all i had you can give us the update to uh to let us know that uh 
that is always curious when you have white people, male or female, where they're, you know, all warm and inviting, but we need to hang out and have coffee or whatever, uh, picnic or, you know, that is always a frightening proposition, uh, any sort of hanging out in that, uh, in that manner. I didn't realize the time kind of got away, um, kind of did our, our three. I wanted to pause just uh, in case anybody had anything they wanted to get in, like questions uh, that they heard from anybody or anything they needed to make sure that we get in because we are uh, closing in on the, the conclusion. Anything folks wanted to make sure they get in before we wrap up? Just wanted to uh, continue to, to uh, encourage the uh, female caller uh, to keep doing what she's doing and uh, uh, I, uh, I really, uh, applaud her, uh, initiative to, uh, to step it up. Yeah. Stay strong. Um, I'd like to mirror that and just say, you know, big up for black self-respect. I'm really glad to hear, um, that you're making headway as far as, um, everything, everything improving for you and, um, your strength is just laudable and I always have your back. I wish you all the best. One love. I just want to say I heard you guys' voices in my head when I was sitting at my computer typing my email, so thank you very much. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Anything else folks want to make sure they get in before we wrap up last minute or so? Hey, Gus? Yes, sir. Yeah, I just wanted to say that uh, I really appreciate the show because the way you tell us to use a lot of the same tactics that they use, especially about the documentation, because what I noticed about this job that I have now, you have to email about, like, everything, like, everything that happens. Like, you have to email. Like, if, like literally, if a customer wants to talk to, a, um, wants to talk to, like, a supervisor, even if the supervisor is standing next to you, you have to send them an email. You have to send the supervisor an email and have them call them back. And, like, if you are going to be late, you have either have to send an email or you have to call and make sure that you talk to someone and leave a message. Um, so there's a lot of stuff, like, that they do on their end for documentation, and I definitely think uh, suggesting that we document stuff as well is a great suggestion. I just wanted to say I appreciated that. For sure, for sure. Anything else folks need to get in before we conclude? Oh, gosh, I just wanted to say thank you. Um, this this platform is just incredible, um, especially when, you, when you're when you in a situation where you have uh, made my day at your wit's end and just really highly stressed and, and um, maybe full of anxiety. It's really sometimes cathartic to be able, and like you said, it's not always pleasant to talk about being abused or mistreated, but just to have the ability to speak to other black people who are less confused and who can truly empathize with what you're going through and then give you, you know, really, really great advice on how to counter those things. That is just a brilliant platform. And I just want to thank you for, you know, everything you do and just for um, just providing this avenue for us to be able to come together and, um, and help each other here. So just, I just want to say thank you immensely for that. 
for sure doing our part and thanks for everyone for uh contributing you know helping to uh just try and do our part to get this problem solved all the folks who've pitched in and shared their views suggestions voices uh down through the years i uh, hope it has been helpful in getting this problem solved uh anything else folks need to get in before we call it a broadcast I will assume folks are satisfied for the day. Uh, we'll be here tomorrow. That's Friday. Uh, there was a tie for the new book uh, between the delectable Negro and Gwen Eiffel, the breakthrough. There is no audiobook for the delectable Negro and no one volunteered to read the delectable Negro. So we're doing Gwen Eiffel, the breakthrough, because there's already an audiobook and Delectable Negro will just uh, tab that uh, to be uh, either our next book uh, or it'll be one of the uh, it'll be one of the books that we get to very shortly. Uh, if I have to read it, uh, I'll see how I feel when we get to the end of the breakthrough if I'm interested in reading or if we have any folks who would be down to read Delectable Negro, I can get you an e-copy if you uh, would be down to read um that is not my favorite uh thing to do but that was the tie those were the two books that got the most votes uh so the breakthrough we're starting tomorrow with gwen eiffel which i'm very excited to read for many reasons the short uh explanation she was an award-winning uh black journalist uh, i know some people have said that the black shouldn't be there she was a great journalist i'm just emphasizing that there are a lack of journalists and the profession as a whole as dominated by white supremacy uh thus does a lot to support the system of racism and to directly attack black people so i'm you know deliberately highlighting this was a black person who was a journalist uh, and that was reflected in her work regularly thus the breakthrough uh, which is about president obama's uh 2008 presidential uh triumph uh, winning the election it's fascinating to be reading it at this time because this book was published in between when President Obama won the 2008 election and when he was inaugurated, which is exactly where we are now, waiting on the beginning of the Trump administration. It's fascinating because the book, it has so much optimism, uh, in my opinion, almost suggesting like black people are taking power and the way that they're doing it's it's fascinating <laughs> just to to read hindsight of course is 2020 because of when she passed at uh because of cancer at the age of 61 she did not get to give her thoughts to voice her opinion on the election and, and all of that because of her illness uh so it's it's sad not having that to compare but i think it will be remarkable a uh, remarkable opportunity to study uh this work at this moment uh, to compare what people thought. I think a lot of the ideas that she promotes in the book are very or were very popular, at least at the beginning of the Obama era, if you want to call it that. Uh, it would be very interesting to hear what people think about all of this now. Uh, but it'll be great uh, to just uh, pay our respects uh, to a black journalist, attempted counter-racist Gwen Eiffel, to learn more about her life and work, uh, to read her book, uh, and then to see what we think about this moving forward into 2017 and President-elect Trump. That's tomorrow, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Compensatory call-in coming up this weekend, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. Uh, 
if I was going to uh, get out one more anecdote, but I'll pause because I did say, uh, Robin, Wisconsin, if you're still with us, if you were going to give us what happened at Starbucks, I guess we can we can ride uh, with that. I'll get our prayer in. But did you want to give us that before we close, if you're still with us? Yeah, I'm here. Uh, can I be heard? Yes, sir. Uh, yes, I'm a daily customer at Starbucks. So uh, first day I'm there. I, I catch this older white lady uh, just kind of staring at me. So I return her stare. Uh, day is over. Next day, we meet each other at the uh, handoff place, the handoff plane where you pick up your drinks. So uh, I'm wearing my class ring, and uh, I'm a former uh, not proud drug dealer. So my class ring is custom made, and it's pretty flashy. So as I reach for my drink, she says, huh, that's a pretty interesting ring there. What's that all about? <laughs> and I, I looked at her, and I said, uh, oh, that's actually my class ring. Uh, I had it custom made. And uh, she looked at me and just said, "Ho." Oh. And um, it was interesting to me because just in that little uh, interaction, uh it was so much said, like, nigga, where where is you getting this money from? What what is you? How are you able to uh, have a possession like this? And uh, my response was, you know, um, yeah, I might look like this, but you know, I read as well. And uh, thanks for letting me share. Uh, that's hilarious. That probably is what she was thinking. This is. Wisconsin, like we've got this sewn up, Governor Walker and our white comrades, like you should be in jail. <laughs> we lock up more niggers like you than anybody, like, you know, much less a ring. You should be uh, you should be in jail making some products or something. That's probably exactly what she was thinking. Um, with that, uh, definitely would qualify as racing. I actually when I was hearing that, I was thinking the first thing that went through my mind was uh I certainly have encouraged, you know, us not eating out and such. Uh, the racism in the food service industry is rampant, well-documented, uh, always an opportunity for racists to terrorize us. But I was thinking if you if you got to go, I probably would not want to do the drive-in. I know it's cold now and everything, but that seems like even more opportunity for them to mess over whatever product you're getting if you're in the drive through area. But... Use your own uh, discretion uh, in evaluating all of that, and hopefully we can minimize as much of that stuff as as, as we possibly can, because it seems like there are a lot of incidents of racism that pop up with that eating out and, and that sort of thing. But anywho, uh, I hope folks will be as safe as possible. Stay warm. I know it's been super cold here. Stay warm. Stay safe. Uh, it's been a lot of acts of white terrorism of late. Uh, really be mindful when we're out and about so we can make really great decisions and just try to keep ourselves as safe as possible. Drop us an email if you need help finding anything in the archives, if you have a problem, if you have a question, untiljustice at gmail.com. Guest suggestion as well, untiljustice at gmail.com. We'll be here tomorrow, 5 p.m. Uh, 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. Creator, we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people victims of white supremacy we ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times 
in all places each and every time we are in contact with another black person. It has been time. Replace white supremacy with justice immediately. Cows signing out. Thanks all for tuning in. Nigga, you so brainwashed. I'm a victim, Your brother. Problem. You're a victim. Right. I'm a up. victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed my conditioning. Mm-hmm. Even my conditioning has been conditioned. <laughs> lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.